Good evening, everybody. I hope you're doing just peachy keen. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you had a great week. Looking forward to, as always, conversations with the greatest listener base in the known universe. So, uh, Mike, I guess without further ado, let's get started with whoever is on first. All right. Well, up first today is Hector. Hector wrote in and said, Recently, I've been involved in a love triangle with two other people. However, I've realized that I do not want to be involved in this sort of behavior and wish to strive for a higher standard of integrity and personal and moral conduct. This made me remember the system for quote-unquote moral perfection that I read about in Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and I would like to try something like this. So, Stefan, please, could you advise me on what kind of framework to use and what values to strive for? Huh. Do you mind if I'm voyeuristic? Uh, no, not at all. No. So, is a love triangle a, um, is that a $20 word for a threesome? <laughs> no, you know, like, like if you say, fra- <laughs> that's much better than DP, right? So, um, what, uh, what, what are we talking about here when we're talking about love triangle? It's not a Euclidean sure. fetish for those who don't know anything about it, but what's, what's the story here? <laughs> It was um it was it was um not not something that was going on at the same time. It was it was kind of um I was in one corner, two guys either side of a either either side of a girl. It doesn't, doesn't sound any better actually. <laughs> um but I was I was um she, she was the one in the middle and it's it's me and another guy. But 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 um divided in time, so not not at the same time. Um in terms I don't of being... know. Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. It's just it's too confusing for me. So you and another guy were in love with the same girl or attracted to the same girl at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's basically right. Yeah. And were you both dating her at the same time? No. Um, no. Basically, um, I I met her at work. Uh, um, I was doing a temporary job, and um, I got speaking to her at work. You know, got friendly. And I found out later that she was seeing a guy um, before before me, and that she. She basically stopped stopped seeing him in order to 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 see me. Um, and we were dating for a couple of months, um, but actually it would be my plan to 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 go abroad. Um, I moved from I moved to to Mexico um, for about about four months, and um, I was planning on being there for a year or two. And it'd been something I'd wanted to do for a while, and there was things with my personal circumstances that allowed me to do that to make that decision around about. Around about a year ago, around about March last year. So I got a temporary job and then I met her and so on. But then I left. Um, you know, I, I told her at the, at the beginning that it was, that was always my plan. And things got quite, quite serious in, in two months. Um, I suppose the knowing that that was happening in the future kind of accelerated things maybe a little bit faster than, than they would otherwise. Um, but I, but I always, you know, I always stuck to that plan. And, um, but basically when, when I got out to um, when I got out to Mexico, uh, it was it was a pretty tough time. I didn't. My, my basic plan had been I'd, I'd wanted to try some um, some musician type thing. Um, I wanted to go to Cancun, and um, I'd, I've got a French buddy who, who lives there. I went to visit him at, uh, back in 2013 for a month, um, and I basically got there and and I and I realized that after about four or five days that I made a mistake. Um, Why? Well, it was. I just realized I I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound why, like, why? Sorry, I just no, had sure. a very long winter uh, and uh, <laughs> in Canada. So for me, it's like, well, after four and five days in beautiful sunshine away from the frozen armpit hellscape known as North yeah. America, I thought, damn, 
I miss my teeth chattering and my balls contracting so far up they could give my heart a chest massage if they needed to. But uh, anyway, go on. Well, I, I realized I made a mistake primarily because, um, in, like, uh, initially, because the town is, is quite tacky. It's, it's, um, it's becoming really touristy. It's kind of, it's kind of, um, it's, it's losing the, the original charm that it had. It was known for. So just saying, sorry, just making a note here. Tacky Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, uh, All right, like, tacky Mexican town. Just for those who don't know, that it pretty much is most Mexican towns that I've ever been to. But what do I know? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 some other things as well. We, later on, this sort of became apparent with regards to, you know, it's my own persistence and determination about 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 doing this. Yeah, I kind of had the your your show. Um, the the uh, irrational vanity is irrational optimism was 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 I thought kind of applicable to me. I. I'd wanted to do something musical here in Bristol, and I just sort of got it in my head that if I if I went abroad, it would be you know it would just be easier you know it would just naturally be easier because I'm changing my environment and things like that. And then, but um, but but that uh, so that was a part of it too. So so I decided I got in touch and I decided to you know get in touch and say, look, I it's not working for Wait, me. Wait, you here. got in touch with the woman? With the girl? Sorry, yeah, yeah. And, and were you broken up? Were you broken up when you left? Were you breaking up or what? We were still in, we were still in contact. Um, no, uh, no, that's my question. <laughs> it's not my question. Had you officially and formally ended your romantic relationship? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't I, I think don't, so. Well, I think we, I think it was a kind of like, we like, we like each other and you already had this plan and that doesn't mean that we have to sort of officially say this is ending here. Um, um, but, but I, I, I don't think we were together. No, we, we wouldn't, we, it wasn't like a, a let's try and make this work long distance or anything like that. Or, so. or I'll wait for you, right? Yeah, no, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't part. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't part of the deal. No. Okay. And so I, so I got in touch with her and said, um, you know, it's not working out for me. Like, I want to come back and, um, and, uh, you know, like it was quite chaotic time. I was learning a lot about myself and things, and and she was quite shocked. And um, she was quite shocked, huh. and she she and said, "Was there anyone else in the background?" <laughs> I hate to ask. <laughs> I hate to ask. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. So, so basically, I I then found out from her. Um, I initially told her we talked through just like with me and her, and then and then she 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 also let me know later, uh, maybe a week or ten days later, saying, "Look, there was this other guy. I was seeing him before you," and. Um, and, um, oh, the guy she broke up with to be with you, she then got back with that's right, within a yeah. couple of days of you leaving the, holy God. I asked her about this later and she said it was maybe three or four weeks later. So, but, but, but the funny thing is he also left. He also left. So this, this poor girl had two guys leaving on her. Um, but he Sorry, went. did you just say poor girl? Yes. <laughs> poor girl ditches the guy she's with to be with you the moment you leave the country. You know, waves you goodbye at the airport, and you know, with her other hand, she's going up the other guy's inseam. Um, so she she basically is like somebody who can't swim in a river surrounded by penises, right? <laughs> Floating penises, and it's like, oh no, this one, I've lost grip of one penis. I'd better get to another, or I'm gonna drown. Um, and uh, so yeah, so she told me that she got back with him after about three or four weeks. And, um, wait, wait, wait. You were gone for a couple of days. You called her and she said she'd gotten back with the guy 
Were you were you with Matthew, Matthew McConaughey in a pretty tiny and scientifically unrealistic spaceship? Because there seems to be a time switch here, right? You're talking three or four or four or five days, and she's talking a couple of weeks. I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not following you. So the, the, the four or five days. Yeah, you you left for Mexico four or five days in Mexico. You call her and say I've made a mistake, and she says, "Well, I'm with a new guy now, and it's been a couple of weeks." Sorry, I, I missed that important detail. I, that was this. That was um. I had two months in in California before I went to before I went to Mexico. So that's actually those four or five days of of that realization are actually two months into the trip. So oh, okay, got it. All right. Uh, so it was a couple of weeks after you left that she claims to have hooked up with the old yeah, boyfriend. Right? Yeah, yeah, three three or four weeks. Sorry, yeah. And, right. So um, either either she was still in contact with him. She throughout was, yeah. your relationship. She was still in contact with him throughout your relationship. Yeah, he he does something to do with bikes, and he, there was some um, something where they needed uh, like a model to to go in for some photo shoot with uh, with with uh, cycling uh, riding bikes around canals or something, and and she she was in this. Uh, she she helped him out with that, and um, she and, she helped him out by being pretty for his photo shoot. Yeah, and okay. and. Uh, and then she told me later that, um, like more recently with the conversation I had with her when I sort of like said, look, I don't want to carry on with this anymore. She told me that he'd, he'd got in touch wait, with Wait, 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 carry on with what anymore? I, I, but basically around the time I emailed in with my question, I, I, uh, I, 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 I'm skipping ahead if I explain that now. So, so basically she, what, 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 what's, what's happened is that then I, I came back and then again, so this, this guy left as well. So she was with him for say a month. And then, and then he left to do the, uh, to, to work in a ski resort. And, and then, so I think she was single, you know, I presume she was single for that time for the six weeks or so until I get in touch in sort of mid January saying, I'm going to, I'm, uh, I'm going to come back. And then there's another intervening factor, um, which is another story, but she gets made redundant from work through no fault of her, of her own. So, so, um, that basically. And that means right, laid off, right? For the sort of North American Sorry, yeah. vernacular. Laid off. Yeah. And um, so that kind of gave her the freedom to think, you know, uh, okay, I would like to get out of Brist- Bristol's where I live in the UK. Um, I'd like to get out of Bristol for a while. And so she decided after knowing that I was coming back and I'd said things like, I want to be with you and let, like, let, let's try again and things. You wanted um, to be with her? Yes. At and that why? point, yeah. And why? Why did you want to be with her? Um, we, we had a really good connection. Uh, we had a lot of things in, in common. Um, like we both, um, like things, things in our childhood, like she, she lived, she went to, she sort of commuted to school and I, I, uh, I did that as well. Um, and I think that there's some similar, sorry, she, she commuted to school. Well, she had to travel to go to school and she lived in a different town from the school she went to. And I, I did that as well. And I think there's some effects on that in terms of like the, when we were growing up with the personalities that, that, um, that like kind of make us make us similar um was it uh, a boarding um for her i don't know for me i went to uh like a, a peeping school but it was a it was a day school so i commuted it every day so how long did that take um it took about an hour about an hour it was a 25 six mile train journey and then so the train was about 35 minutes and it was sort of 10 minute walk before and another kind of 15, 20 minute walk to, to get to school from the train station. Right. And you don't know if she was in a boarding school or not? I'm not sure. No, I don't know. 
So you had um, stuff in common, but you hadn't exactly delved into it very deeply, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I was meaning more like I think that had an effect on, um, but but I, I think, dude, I mean, maybe I'm missing something, and I, I Hector, I really don't mean to be uh, impolite, and I'm I'm perfectly willing to accept that I'm just missing something. But when you said, you know, we had a lot in common, and basically it seems to be a commute. I, I yeah. think you're covering up something. <laughs> I, I think your penis is trying to tell me something. <laughs> or is trying to is trying to cover up something rather. Right? Because yeah. she was pretty. If she's I'm, in a if she's in a bike commercial, right? I assume yeah, she's very no, you're, pretty. You're right. She's she's very pretty. But you know, yeah. we both took buses is not exactly yeah. the foundation yeah. of yeah. Yeah. a right. philosophically yeah. deep relationship. Right? I I've had basically I've I've had I've had the thoughts that, that, that it was based too much on attraction and things. Yeah. Okay, and then, look, that's fine. We can be honest. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I also have, you know, penis, and understand that uh, sometimes it's a snake that tries to drag you off a cliff, and <laughs> um, so I, you know, we can be frank with each other. But yeah. you know, just, just don't tell me we were so much. We had so much in common yeah. because we both rode a school bus. Uh, that's that's kind of <laughs> no, that was that was, that was just like a right? that's just like a, a thought I'd had, which I, which I, and this is the thing. Like I've, I've thought about this, and I've, because, and I, I suppose I've, I've. Um, struggle to really like get make a good case for that um in terms no, of no no but you see like, no it's it's just honesty isn't it if you're like yeah. I'm just woman's hot right she's really sexy she's really pretty yeah and so she's you know we're gonna we're gonna have a fling and uh, what, what do we have in common well I, I guess we both think she's pretty so so you know she's status she's arm candy other guys will envy me whatever right um mm. that's you know as long as you're honest right you can say to me i don't know didn't really seem to have much in common. I mean, you went out for a couple of months. You didn't even know if she was in a boarding school or not. Doesn't sound like she was <laughs> doing. Well, a there was there talking. was more there was more to it than there was more to it than that. Like we had a good connection. Like, um, I just I I've just not been quite able to put, like put the put my finger on exactly what the connection was. I suppose, and I suppose that's oh, really part of the problem. Really? You really can't put your finger on. Well, beyond beyond that, I mean, like beyond the the attraction, the mutual attraction. Like I really enjoyed spending time with her, and she's very kind and caring, and and um, but but I, if you were to, you know, if I was to say, well, what is it apart from the attraction that really, you know, um, that really struggled to make? What I meant was I struggled to make a like a good case for that. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I'll give you an annoying older guy perspective. Oh, it's so mm. annoying! But I'm going to give it to you anyway, and you can take it or leave it as you see fit. So I'll tell you something. Sure. If this woman was great, like really great, so she was kind to this name, right? Yeah. But if she was a great woman, Mexico would mean nothing to you. You never would have left. That's that's. I think that's. I think that's it, really. If you meet someone who's really worthy mm-hmm. of love, then you don't go on with your life. Do you know what I mean? I Love is so. like a shark yeah. that, that, you know, bites you. It's like, well, I'll just keep swimming, right? I mean, it changes everything. It's probably not the best analogy, although. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's, not, um, it, it's not an interruption of your life. It is a reforming of your life. It's a reshaping of your life. Your life is never the same. You're never the same. That which satisfied you before seems incomplete. And your yearning for connection, emotional intellectual, psychological, mm-hmm. sexual, your yearning for connection eclipses 
everything else. And if this is a woman who's really worthy of your love, then there would be nothing that would separate you, save death itself, right? But I think that's just giving you that perspective. I guess yeah. what they call a thunderbolt, I mean, I guess that's never hit you yet, right? And I get it. I mean, it took a long time before it hit me, and I had to sort of prepare myself for it. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the standard that, that I'd like to invite you to consider. Sure. I mean, I've said the story before, but when I was younger, I was kind of half-dating this woman. I was really attracted to her, but she was great, and uh, she was uh, moving to go somewhere, and she had to for school. And my friends are like, oh, that's a bummer, you know, what will you do? And I'm like, well, I'll move there. You know, if that's, if that's where we want things to go, then that's what I'll do. Because, you know, love is not a bus that comes every day, right? I mean... Uh, that real attraction to someone doesn't come along all too often. And, you know, you, you do whatever it takes to, to maintain that. Now, I mean, obviously, with the woman's express permission and consent and encouragement and enthusiasm. You know, Hi, you might remember me from the kitchen. I am now in the washroom. I'd like to keep chatting. I know we broke up two months ago, but I feel a lot of things unresolved. Right, so, I mean, I'm not talking stalker stuff, but I mean, you know, I mean, if if it's the right thing, you know, that the person that you're going to you know, people move for college, right, for, for university, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they move for jobs and so on. And if it's the right person for you, uh, if, if she's a great woman and, and a trustworthy woman and an honorable and decent and kind and moral and strong or whatever, right? I mean, if she is the woman for you, then, you know, we, we move for university, and university is much less important than love. It's not unimportant, of course, right? But it's much less important than love. And the person you decide to spend your life with, your love partner, if you get married, your spouse, or whatever you want to call it, your life partner, choosing your life partner is the single most important decision you will ever make in your life. Even if you choose not to. You say you you choose not to date or whatever, that's still an important decision. It's the most important decision. And... You wouldn't go to a university or choose a major because the campus was pretty and, you know, it was sunny when you visited, right? I mean, you'd, you'd mm. be pretty. And it's all sort of bothered me. And, and it bothered me about myself when I was younger, too. The, people put more effort into choosing a cell phone than a life partner. You know? Well, it comes to a cell phone, I review the features. I read the reviews. and You know, I'm going <laughs> to compare the data plans. And I'm going to, you know, like all the people will spend. The due you know, diligence, yeah. Yeah, the due diligence on a cell phone or a computer or even a house. and These are all much, 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 I dare say, almost infinitely less important than who you're going to spend your life with. So that's mm-hmm. my uh, just, just sort of a reminder about that. that uh, but anyway, go on, go on with your story, if you don't mind. So, so um, yeah, so, so basically she gets made redundant and then she makes the decision to, to, uh, to, go, to go out to to this ski resort and she used like as a contact to get work and oh, with the, and so, the guy, the other guy. Yeah. So through him. And so she gets a job through him. Um, and then I show up on the, on the, and this is the bit I really regret. I, well, I, she first tells me about this about three or four days, like before I'm due to come back, that this is her plan. Um, and my initial reaction is, is this is okay. Well, this is, this is like a, 
this um I, I shouldn't like we shouldn't be together i shouldn't i shouldn't stay with you and um like that's that you know but i overrode that i didn't want to felt like i didn't want to add any more stress or make uh you know like make a fuss and i i, I felt kind of on the back foot or or like uh because i'd gone away and then changed my mind and then i was coming back that i maybe was sort of uh you know what i mean like in the, in on the back foot and uh and and that i had to sort of give her freedom to then go away and like make her own choice and decision and um so i come well, back hang on, hang on. So it sounds like you've got this cardboard cut out of good guy right and um <laughs> You know, like, well, well, I made these decisions, so it was only fair for Hamana, 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 right? Right. 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 I am not such a big fan. Do you mean that? Well, I'm like you're saying, well, it was only fair that she get a chance to go to explore herself uh, or this relationship at this, um, at the ski resort because I had gone away and changed my mind and all that kind of like, it sounds like you're sort of an honorable, you know, well, this is a decent thing to do given the decisions that I made and so on, right? Yes, which I regret now. Yeah, right. And and I just want to point out, I think you've obviously learned that lesson. But you know, the all fa- all's fair in love and war, which I've mentioned before, is uh, is important. You know, I'm I'm a big fan. If you're really attracted to someone, you go declare yourself. You know, just I I, I can't. You know, <laughs> I can't eat. I can't sleep. <laughs> whatever, right? I mean, whatever is honestly going on in your heart, mind, yay, even in loins. Go and tell that person, and you know they can make whatever decision that they want. But this idea of like stepping back and being the honorable guy and so on, um, I, I, I think what it does is it kind of puts you into a null zone. Go, right. go fight for the woman that you want, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. And you may find in in fighting for her, in declaring that passion, you may find that she's not very passionate. You may find that uh, she's alarmed by. Your emo- I mean, all of those things are fine. I think she's perfectly you know, and But, but it, it, brings, it brings things to a head, so to speak, which I think is, is important. You know, life is short, yeah. and we can't spend forever chasing trains we're never going to catch up with, right? Yeah. But anyway, that's go true. Ahead. No, that's true. You know, strike for the iron is hot and everything. And so I come back, um, and then, so overriding my initial instinct that, you know, okay, well, let's just leave things here. Um, and then I'm with her for four days, and that's over a Thursday to a Tuesday. And then she. You were at the resort for four days. No, no, I'm with. Sorry, she's. I'm with her. I come back to Bristol from from being in Mexico. You know, flying to London and then travel down. I then stay with her in her house for uh, four days, and then I go you up back. Up to, yes, I go up then after that to see my family, and then that's on the. Yeah, uh, you're in your twenties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Twenty-eight. So. This is a girl that you kind of broken up with. She's with another guy. She's going off to pursue another guy, but you go and just stay with her. Yeah. Okay. And she's like, fine. Now, did you want her back at this point? Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. And I did. Um, you uh, did you say that at that time? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And what did she say? Well, she said. Um, you know, you went away. You said you were going to do all this music stuff, and and you, I don't trust you. Like you, you, you went away, and I sort of invested in you going away to do that thing, as you know, because of the, uh, that was what you were going to do for for the end of you know this the two months thing before I left. And so, she, so she this, said this she is sort of akin to a, a contractual negotiation, right? 
According to the terms of the separation, this is what you said, and this is what I like. So there wasn't any, it doesn't sound like there was any particular passion in this, right? I mean, on your part, no. maybe, but it doesn't sound like on hers. The, no, well, well I, I think that's unfair. No, I think she, she really likes me, and mm -hmm. she's, you know, she's, she said she loved me many times, and I mean, maybe and it's how just long the way did you I, for again? Two, two months. So not, she, not she, she said that long. she loves you many times in two months. Yeah. Mm, and how long did it take for her to say that she loved you in those two months? Maybe four or five weeks in. Do you find that uh, too fast, too slow, or just about? Um, it felt right at the time. And um, you said it differently? Yes, yes. All right. Um, and so seems it seems a tad fast to me. Yeah, I, I, I can see. You know, that. I love you. I, I don't know if you stayed with your parents or went to boarding school, but I love you. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in, in the beginning of a relationship, like a relationship that's based on lust, will literally cause you to lose your mind, particularly as a man. Particularly, like the chemicals racing around your brain, and and like you are drugged, and. Yeah. That is an important thing to remember as as a man. Yeah, it's the you know it's basically early on in a relationship, particularly as there's when there's lots of sex. I mean, you're you're drunk dicking. I mean, you literally are drunk <laughs> with a variety of 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 hormones and chemicals, and mm. it is really like a <laughs> romantic attraction for men is literally a mind altering experience. It is, it is being put on a drug. That's the great vulnerability of, uh, and, and, the, the, you know, anyway, we can get into more of that another time, but, and I, you probably have some right understanding of all of this, but I, I really wanted to sort of point this out for, no, of course, yeah, for other people that there is this, uh, this glow, this, this, like, life has changed and my brain has changed, <laughs> this yearning and this, like, I mean, it is, um, you know, the only, um, the only thing I can probably analogize it to is the feeling that a mom gets with her new baby, you know, that kind of bonding yeah. endorphins. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a very heady experience, particularly if it's very heady. Anyway. Okay, so, um, so she was um, doubtful of your capacity to commit since you yes, left that's her a very good and way then putting it. Yeah, couldn't exactly. even commit to Mexico and so on, right? Exactly, yeah. All right, all right. And and so and so that's um I got back on the Thursday and then the Thursday to the Tuesday over the weekend was was four days we were together. And then on the Friday is when she leaves to go to France. So Right. And then basically we're over the next three or four weeks, um we are, you know, talking on, you know, instant message Facebook, instant messaging, whatever. We had one Skype conversation, didn't really Wait, she's she's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just so she's in France with this boyfriend of hers, the yeah. ex-boyfriend who then became her boyfriend again, right? Yeah. And she's chatting with you and Skyping yes. with you and so on, right? Yes, yeah, that's right. And does yeah. he know this? Um, I'm not sure, but the, in one, com the, well, basically the conversation that, that led towards me um, just like tapping out of the whole thing. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't that, quite, you, you tapped out of the whole thing? Yes, I have now. Yeah, yeah, I okay. Now, yeah. Um, Basically, uh, the conversation that led to that, that precipitated that was, 
Um, we were talking one night on, on, on Facebook, messaging back and forth, and there was a lull for a couple of hours. And then she came back on and said that the name of the guy is Sam. And she said that, oh, Sam has seen these messages and gotten really upset. And so she was lying to him by omission. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Wait, wait. Suppose so. What, <laughs> what am I not getting here? Or is that just too blunt, like you're taking time to adjust, or what? I'm taking time, yeah, as in, I am sort of that fully through it. But very kind, you say. A very kind person. But she lies to her current boyfriend about chatting with her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, hides it, yeah. Lies. Yeah. No, seriously, lies. Look, if I'm having an affair on my wife, and I, you know, scrub off the body glitter and, <laughs> you know, launder my shirts and have a change of clothing at the car... And you know, clear my whatever history and right. I mean, if if I'm 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 lying. Yeah. The fact that I haven't actually said to her, I'm not having an affair, honey. It doesn't matter. It's lying. Lying by omission is the worst kind of lying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and just this is a general rule that I'm going to put out there for people, and I I can give you the um all the rationales behind it another time, but let me be very clear at least about my perspective on this. Is this mm -hmm. philosophical? I don't know. But it's testicle-enabled, which to me is good enough. When you're in a relationship, no contact with exes. Let me, let me say that again, because it seems to be kind of confusing for people. When you're in a relationship, there is to be no contact with exes for either party. Exes are exes. They are done. They are gone. You know, when you have a new job, you don't keep going to your old job, right? If you've quit your old job, you keep showing up there, right, and doing work. When you are in a relationship, there should be zero contact with exes. I just, because <laughs> this, this seems to have gone by the wayside or something like that, and it is exceedingly unhealthy because it is so costly to the trust in a new relationship that there can't be anything other than neurotic and needy re reasons for having contact with an ex because it is so destructive to trust in the current relationship and uh, so, so does that make sense like, um, yeah yeah at least yeah. under cost and benefit right I mean yeah. why on earth would she be keeping this from her boyfriend because it's so destructive when he finds out so yeah this is a cold and and calculating personality trait because, like, I need, I like the attention, right? Yeah. I like the attention. I like this, this other guy wanting me. I'm keeping him on the back burner in case things don't work out yeah. at the ski resort. I'm keeping him floating around. It's good for my ego. I like that he's attracted to me. I like maybe a tiny little bit of flirting, and I like keeping him maybe hoping a little. I like all of that, right? Yeah. Good for my ego. Good for my vanity. Makes me feel special. And that calculation of hiding things from a current boyfriend, contact with an ex-boyfriend, especially one so recent. This isn't like, uh, oh, a guy uh, called me from like six years ago or something, right? Yeah. Don't return that call. He made his choice and so did you. So move on. Uh, you know, I sold that house. I don't get to live there anymore. <laughs> right? I don't yeah. even get to sort of crawl in through the window and take a look around. <laughs> and... Um, so when you sort of say she's nice and kind, I have to give you the empirical no, 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 no. 
No. I mean, w- why would she keep an ex floating around if she's invested in a new guy, given how destructive, I mean, given how yeah. destructive it is to the new guy to find out that she's floating around with the old guy? Plus, it means she has no problem keeping essential information from her current boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That is a slippery and dangerous human being. Yeah, and it's that's that's basically what you know. Thinking along those lines after that after that conversation is is prompting yeah, he, he to must realize have, he must have passed her by when she's on. Uh, who who are you chatting with? Oh, just a friend. Yeah, or picked up her phone to use it for something else and seen it. Something, but no, but I mean, but he, even before he found out, he must have asked her. Often, you know, what you what you doing, or what did you do today? Yeah, right. Oh, I chatted on Skype with my ex. She didn't say that, right? So she lied, and yeah. she's no problem lying, lying to the guy she's trying to have a relationship with. She's no problem lying to him. No problem lying to him for the sake of feeding her vanity. Now, what about you, though? Right. I mean, we could slack on her for a while, but the important thing, Hector, is here mm. is you. Did yeah. you think that she was telling her current boyfriend about chatting with you? Um, well, before w- w- on those four days uh, when I was with her here before she left, um, she did. I know that she did have a phone conversation with him, and she told him basically the situation then. Um, Wait, but she then, told but, the new boy, the boyfriend. Sorry, she just she yeah. told the new boyfriend that you were staying there. Yeah, for a sec. I'm sorry. I lost you. Broke up for a sec. Sorry. Oh, sorry. She told the new boyfriend at the ski resort that you were staying at her house. Yes. I mean, God, how hot is this woman? <laughs> I mean, is is she like is she visible from like Jupiter? I mean, because I'm telling you this. I mean, <laughs> if some woman I was dating called me up and said my ex is staying with me for a couple of days, I'd be like. Bye. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess, I guess he, I guess he knew about me from before because of, because, because when, when she got, when we first started seeing each other, she stopped seeing him. So I suppose maybe it was just a continuation and it wasn't like a brand new idea then. And maybe that's why. I I mean, I don't know. X dick proximity separated by one wall is not acceptable. Yeah. Because it just tells me all about the woman's judgment. Why would she put up with an ex coming to stay with her? Why? There's no reason. You've broken up. She's got a new guy. Why, oh why, oh why would she put up? Would he, would, would she put up with you coming over? Because she likes the attention. She likes you wanting her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had this. And that just tells you, it doesn't make her an evil person or anything like that, but it just makes her you know, shallow and vain and, and, and all that, right? I mean, why did you stay with her? Was it to save money? Was it in the hopes that you could change her mind? Um, well, I think we know the, the primary reason. <laughs> to change her mind, right? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to change her mind. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and that's exactly why the new boyfriend should have said, Oh, you know what? I don't even need to, to ask you. I don't even need to tell you that's not acceptable. I'm breaking up with you. Because of course you're there to change her mind. And and she 
is letting you stay there because she's interested in hearing what you have to say. Maybe, right? Mm. Right? I don't do pussy auctions. I am not sitting in the audience there tugging at my ear and putting a bid in. Because a pussy auction, you will always lose in the long run because there's always some guy out there who can outbid you. Now, a virtue auction, that's a different matter, right? It's a different matter. But if it's, hey, which guy can pique my interest in the moment, you will always lose that in the long run. And that's what I would know about that woman if she tried to pull some of that crap with me. Oh, yeah, my ex-boyfriend is coming by hoping to get laid. I'm going to have him stay with me and sleep next door for a couple of nights. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> Enjoy the old dick, because the new dick is no longer available. <laughs> the new dick has left the building. <laughs> new dick is departing on the not-so-much-you airlines in the AM as of right now. Bye. Bye. Yeah. And, and I really regret it, you know, that uh, overriding my initial instinct. Well, you, you called to the new guy, too, right? Sorry? You called to the new guy, right? Called to him? Yeah. What do you mean? How do you mean? Well, I mean, if you got what you wanted, then he, he, would, be, he would be heartbroken, right? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's uh, Rose before some kind of garden implement. I can't remember what it was. Rake? Anyway. <laughs> but... Um, you know, a, a little bit of solidarity between men. I mean, I know that biologically we're all in competition to release our hordes of sperm to find the few eggs that we can. <laughs> I get all of that. But there was another guy in the equation, and you were really trying to shaft him, right? Well, you were trying to shaft her, but screw him. Wait, no, this is all getting very confusing. <laughs> right? But but he, he would yeah. really have lost. You were really aiming to have him lose out, and, and you yeah. get the woman. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. And I mean, I mean, further in that, I mean, when I, when I, when she told me that he got upset between me and her, then that's what, that's what, um, that's the first thing I was really started thinking about. It's like, well, if I was over there, and he was, you know, swapped me and him, and he was messaging her, and she was, you know, that would really, really, really piss me off. And that's why I've got to tap out. I've got to, you know, because I, I just felt really compromised. I felt, you know, well, like, and, and it's really sensible because. Because it would happen. It would happen to you, right? Yeah. She, she may break up with this guy just as she did the last time to be with you. And then there'd be some new guy who comes along. Yeah. Right? As, as you know, the fundamental job of the female of every species, at least those who have any kind of K reproductive strategy, which is sort of long-term investment in offspring, the primary job, the egg uses the vagina to get itself resources, right? And the primary job of the female is to get resources for her offspring. And this is why if you take a biological approach to romance, which is hot, right? Sexy, <laughs> right? And, and hot simply means indication of appropriate genes to the social context, right? And 
hot in the R reproductive strategy, which is the spray and pray, right? I mean, just just <laughs> have have sex and keep moving and and hope some kids survive. Right? Like the fish do it. Like the fish, like the <laughs> frogs, like the turtles, and all yeah. that, and like certain segments of the <laughs> population in, in in the human yeah. genome. And so, hot in the R reproductive strategy is seems to be disease free. <laughs> Right. has a pleasing proportion that indicates a good genes. Mm. A symmetry, of course, indicates good genes, right? I mean, if you've ever looked at the jug-eared plasticine monstrosities known as the, uh, the inbred British uh, royalty, right, you know that a, a wide variety of genes is, is really quite beneficial to, uh, to <laughs> genetic health, right? Because you don't want those pairs that produce genetic problems. And so... Uh, even features have uh, a lot to do with uh, a uh, a non-inbred genetic base, which is, you know, this is why even features are considered uh, good. Proportional features are considered good. Uh, basically, genetics make make people uh, inbred genetics make tend to make people ugly. And so, all of the stuff which is uh, she's hot, right? <laughs> she's hot. They all have to do with, in the R base, it's just, well, given that I'm not going to be around to raise my kids, what kind of genetics am I giving them? And that's why you have these markers, and that's why it arouses such a, an aggressive sexual response and such a predatory sexual response, such as you had until you've had empathy for your uh, brother across, uh, across the channel. Now, the, the K reproductive strategy, which is a long-term investment, you... Uh, <laughs> you know, having a, a K reproductive strategy, which is, of course, what I think is the basis of civilization, as I've made the case before. And I'll keep this brief, but it's um, it's like it's like choosing a woman when you're a farmer, right? Now, I remember flipping through the channels years ago, and I came across um, I think it was called what the Simple Life or something like it was Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton, who would go and slum it around at various places and so on. And, you know, Paris Hilton was all, you know, she was on a farm and she was all shrieky and she was like stepping around like some praying mantis on a hot plate, you know, not wanting to step in anything and ruin her shoes. And there was some older woman, uh, elderly woman, who basically was like, well, I guess it's time to get chicken for dinner, right? She goes out, she grabs the chicken, she kills it with an axe and she rips the wings, like she rips the feathers off the chicken and she's, she's getting the chicken ready for dinner and all that kind of stuff. And when you're a farmer, who do you want on your farm? And clearly, you, you may find the you know, long-legged, brittle-boned, underfed, malnourished, <laughs> you know, got a poodle in my bag, kind of, <laughs> you know, hyper-absent, nonsensical, hysterical, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, right? I mean, that person might be attractive to you. But damn it, man, you've got a farm to run. <laughs> what do you need? You need a woman with a strong back and a hard work ethic <laughs> who's not squeamish, right? Who can fix a fence and uh, fire up a tractor and do all kinds of useful things. And so I sort of suggest, look, and you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, the woman can be very pretty and be good on a farm. <laughs> 
I've I've seen farmers uh, who are women who are attractive. But with the K reproductive strategy, you don't look for the R traits of merely good uh, genetics because you don't need those fantastic genetics because you'll be there to raise your kids. And so you need quality of character because if you're going to stick around and raise your kids with someone, then you need them to be someone who's compatible with you. But if you're basically just going to have sex with them and keep moving, all you need them to be is hot. So uh, sorry for that that lengthy um, rendition, but um, yeah, I mean, well, I I guess I just feel a bit down that I've you know a bit um, you know I recognize my mistakes and you know I I don't want to I don't want to repeat it. You know, I want to I want to like I said in my original question, I want to you know aim for something a bit higher, like. Well, but yes, let me ask so you why why you made these mistakes. And I'm not even saying that they are mistakes, mm. because prior to knowledge, we all exist in a state of nature. So I'm not even going to call them mistakes, but my question is, where was your family in this situation, right? Right. I mean, did your dad meet this woman? Uh, well, I live in, in some place. And my parents are divorced, but they they both live at another place. Uh, so no, neither of them neither of them met her. Uh, I spoke to I spoke to my mum and dad a little bit about about her. And what did they say? Um, well, I spoke to my I spoke to my mum mostly, um, and I mean, I guess I I I showed her I showed her a picture. I mean, there's. There's, you know, there was, I wasn't able to, you know, she wasn't able to meet her, so there wasn't, you know, I'd explained that the situation and I was going away and everything, and I remember saying, expressing some doubts then, and, um, I guess. Why did your parents get married, Hector? Why did they get married? What was their attraction to each other? Um, well, my, my mother had a difficult childhood, and, um, She's told me that she, she, she's kind of quite insecure from, I think, from her childhood. And she's told me that she, she married my father, like, for security. Um, and that her mother, her mother, my grandmother. Had, Wait, security means what? Resources? Money? Yeah. And, and she, I think she had this in- insecurity about herself and she, she, uh, she's kind of admitted it in the, in the way that, if I if I get married, like everything will be okay, you know. Um, what does that mean? Everything like I'll have enough money. I won't have to work. I mean, did she work? Yeah, she was a teach. She was actually she gave up her she gave up her um, um, her teaching career um, to to have my sister and I. And she said that's one of her regrets. Actually, that she gave that up. Um, she, she regrets that that she spent more time with her children. I think. I, well, I think that. It was done because she she had to give it the career because my dad's in the military, so they had to move around. So um, we, we know we were kind of moving around. So um, that was the primary reason. And I, I like so that. she regrets that she wasn't working when you guys were little. Well, she had a she had a sort of uh, 
12 or 13 year gap and she started teaching again later and I think she just regrets regrets completely leaving that 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 world for as long as she did um but and no, how she, pretty was your mom when she was younger yeah she was she was a, she was attractive she was a pretty lady one to ten what are we talking um maybe seven seven or eight you know turning on the subjective you know and this other girl that we started talking about about the same about the same. Yeah, I would say probably about seven or eight, yeah. And so she wanted to marry a man with um, resources. And, of course, in the military, you, you get resources, right? Mm, yes. I mean, you have job security, and you, have, uh, you can retire after 20 years in most places with a good pension, and mm. you get benefits and, and housing and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. right, yeah. Got it. So, why? So she married for uh, money, and he married for looks. I mean, I'm not saying that's all. Sure, there yeah. is. I'm trying to boil it down to something elemental. And and how long were they married before they divorced? Um, about eight years. And my dad's uh, my dad said that they. Basically, what happened was, my mother, um, my dad worked in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, with the troubles there, yeah. and. My mother recalls, she's recalled to me uh, an event where she really, you know, was a real turning point with the marriage, I think. When, do you know the uh, concept of a, a, a dicker, you know, the IRA and things like that in the, the terrorist? Irish Republican Army, uh, yeah, the Troubles, right? The Troubles, Just, just yeah. another one of the bloody advertisements for the joys of multiculturalism, but uh, go on. And basically she, she was in the, like, the army quarters, the army house, and she noticed that there was a couple of weird looking guys hanging out like at the front of the, the lawn, you know, on, on the street, looking really dodgy, checking the house out. And they would, they turned out to be, she said she memorized their faces and they turned out to be, um, guys that were known to be like IRA, like observers or dickers as the term. Um, right. and she, my mom doesn't handle stress that well on the whole. And she said that was a real, that was basically the point where she realized, like, I can't do this anymore. So I can't. And she never really fit in with the, the sort of, she's not really the type of person to be wait a minute, wait the a minute, army wait wife. Minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to share with you what popped into my head. Sure, go ahead. And, you know, ascribe it whatever value you like, and it may be completely wrong. Now, she obviously was aware that your father was in danger every day, right? Mm-hmm. And she was fine with that. I'm not saying she was fine with it like uh, she liked it, but what I'm saying is that she 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 accepted that right mm-hmm. that your father was in danger every day yeah because she married a man in the military and i don't think it's unfair to characterize northern ireland as a semi-active war zone is that uh, within think, the realm of acceptable dispute i think so um my dad said he lost in his unit he lost the one or two guys i think yeah so your dad was in danger yeah. Every day he went out, right? Sure. More, yeah. more so than a cop. Yes. Right? But but less so than a podcast. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> less so but, than like a full-blown full war, definitely. Like Vietnam. Right. So, I mean, and I say this because, you know, and I grew up in England in the 70s and there mm-hmm. was lots of, like, check the bus shelter for any abandoned shopping bags and stuff like that because there was lots of bombings going on. So, mm-hmm. um, so, I just tell you, I mean, this is, <laughs> it bugs the shit out of me this disposability of men 
And so the, what bugs me about what your mom did, and I'm not blaming her for it, and I may not even be right about it, with those caveats in place, I'll go full tilt boogie, Hector, and say what bugs me about your mom is like, oh, wait, are you saying that I could be in danger? Oh, well, that's it. I'm, I, I can't do that. You can go out and be in danger every day, husband of mine. And I'll take the money and I'll take the benefits and I'll take the security and I'll take the pension that's coming. You can go out and be in danger every day. Oh, my God. Are there actually, is there any actual potential danger to me? Oh, God, that's it. I'm out. Well, what, what happened after that was that that was when she realized that she didn't want to um, move around every, you know, every two years. Uh, that's the sort of postings you get in the military. No, no, danger. And it was danger. It wasn't like she's like, oh, I can't move again. It was like there were guys who might have been spotters for terrorists. So now, wait, I could potentially be in danger. Well, that's no good. I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. If, if I'm wrong... I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Well, but, but isn't it more the case? I mean, my dad is—he's always been. He's, that's all, always what he's wanted to wanted to 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 do. To I'm not talking about your dad's choice. I'm not talking about your dad's choice. Okay. I'm talking about your mother was like, uh, okay, well, your dad's in danger. I'm willing to live with that because you know, pay and money and security and all that. But the moment I might even potentially be in danger, it's all over. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Um, the, the reason being that there's a reason why you ended up with this woman, right? The, the, and there's a reason, <sighs> tiny rant, and then we'll get, we'll get right back to you. Sure. The, the K reproductive strategy, the civilized reproductive strategy, and the R reproductive strategies are diametrically opposed. They are diametrically opposed. They are at war. They are enemies. Now, there's going to be blends and there's going to be gray areas and so on. But at the extreme ends, they are at war with each other. And my concern is that the knowledge of the civilized reproductive strategy of the long-term pair bonding, invest in your kids, look for virtue, raise uh, decent kids through your commitment to virtue and all of that, that, that knowledge is being lost. It's like this is great fire in the library of Alexandria. It was an ancient library where unbelievably mm. amazing texts were destroyed more than once, if I remember rightly. But there's this, this great fire going through the well-learned testicle forests of the world. There's great fire going through that is burning up the knowledge that men used to have about how to choose a good woman. Right? Your attraction, Hector, to this woman we were talking about earlier. I'm not saying she's the devil, but this is not a good woman. Not not an evil woman, right? Not initiating the use of force, but an untrustworthy, slippery, manipulative, heart dangerous woman. And hypergamy, right? Hypergamy being the woman's desire to marry up, to trade up, to biology up. And you, you counter that with, with virtue, right? In, in the same way that a, man's, a man leans more towards the R reproductive strategy, a woman leans more towards the K, and the man must use virtue to resist the R, and a woman must use virtue to resist the hypergamy, the, the trading up. In the same way we use nutrition to resist sugar, right? Mm. And the reason I asked 
what was the story with, like, what did your parents say about her? Yeah. Is that the primary job of parenting is to raise children who can have a civilized, K-based reproductive strategy, if you care about civilization continuing and existing, right? And especially those crypt keepers out there, the boomers, who are expecting the young to breed enough people to support them in their old age through taxes and redistribution and pensions. And so I wanted to ask what your parents thought of this woman, because if you were my son and you came to me with this story, I'd kind of be telling you what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you came to me early on and said, oh, this woman, she's so hot, and she left this guy to be with me, I'd be like, ooh. <laughs> Oh, that's not great. It's not the end of the world, but this is a cause for concern. Why did she leave the guy? What are her virtues? I'd want to meet her. Why? Because I know how susceptible men are to romance. I mean, a man's cognitive abilities are impaired if he even thinks about talking to a woman. They've done studies on this. Seriously. The frontal lobes go down like L.A., whose central power station gets hit by an acid meteor. It's true. Just think yeah, about yeah. think about talking yeah. to a woman, and it's like, it, you, it's like you, yeah, you regress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you even think about talking to a woman, and you find yeah. yourself hanging upside down on a tree with you your... You lose 30 IQ immediately. <laughs> yeah, you, you're hanging upside down in a tree, grasping onto a limb with your feet, picking nits out of some other guy's hair. Oog, wand, ooh, banana and eggs. Egg banana. <laughs> Right. I mean, whatever you want, anything. What, what do you need? What do you need? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like yeah. that scene in in two thousand and one where the ape throws the bone up in the air and it turns into a spaceship. Except it's completely in reverse. We take the a, a <laughs> male's capacity to build spaceships and and civilizations and air conditioning and so on. Hug, hug, want egg, right? And and it's uh, and so I would know this because that's what the K-reproductive strategy experts know is, ooh, want egg, right? It's like, okay, so she's hot. So basically, you need to not dick drunk, right? Mm. And, and we, would t we would talk about that. And be because as a parent, I care about your heart. You know, as a parent, I don't want your arm broken when you're a kid. And when you're an adult, I don't want your heart broken. So I'd be all over that. I'd be all over that. That sounds wrong. Let me try that. <laughs> I would be hovering over that. And, uh, no, like I, w I would want to meet the girl or at least talk to her on the phone. I'd ask her innocuous questions and then not so innocuous questions. I'd, I'd just ask her. And wherever you don't get parental input, you are firmly in, turgidly in, tumescently in the our reproductive strategy camp. Because a lack of parental instruction on how to use your dick leaves you 30 IQ points lower, and basically you'll mate with a tree knot if you think it might produce an orgasm, right? And so <laughs> this is why I'm asking what, because if you get feedback from parents, the, the feedback can be, well, here are the mistakes that I make, right? And please understand, I've made a lot of mistakes in the day. These are, these are battle scars, I guess you could say, somewhat honorably earned. 
Because I didn't have instructions. <laughs> I'm sorry? Battle scars, Galacticus, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is the, I've made, yeah, yeah I'm just like, brag, I've made so many mistakes. I'm such a stud, right? What was it uh, after the call a little while back at the the, the, the two, the men and women who were both polyamorous at some point or another? I listened, yeah, somebody, I listened to half of that so far, yeah. Yeah, so somebody posted the rules of three, rule of threes, which is that you, you take whatever a man says his sexual conquests were divided by three, and you take whatever a woman says her sexual um, experience is, and you multiply it by three, mm. which uh, I think is uh, starting to approach a small village. Anyway, <laughs> but so when you don't get parental feedback, you fall back on biology. And the parental feedback requires the honesty of saying, I made this mistake. You know, I've thought long and hard about what didn't work with your mom. And we didn't get together because we thought each other were the most virtuous and wonderful people around. But she was looking for security, and I thought she was pretty. Yeah. And, and I don't want you to repeat that mistake. So if the woman is pretty, yeah. you need to be, I mean, you need to be careful no matter what. The woman's pretty. You need to be extra careful. You need to be extra careful because your IQ is about, is about to be robbed. You know, your your brain is going to slide into that vagina like a spaceship into a black hole. <laughs> Except in a spaceship <laughs> to a black hole, the ending is is quicker and less uh, less uh, uncivilized. But that's um, I think that's the important aspect. Okay. You know, I like to think that. For women, listening to this show makes them more attractive. I do. I, I, I want to think that. Yeah. I, I think I, I want to think that. But in order to to do that, I need to impress upon the guys the value of the civilized K reproductive strategy. And I, I want my daughter to grow up in a world where the K reproductive strategies are not lost. You know, like like the recipes in the Ash Village of Pompeii. And. Um, so this is why, you know, I appreciate you talking about this stuff, why I want to get this information out there. I want to live in an old age in, in, a, in a society which is civilized. And, and that means that we must scrub the beauty addiction from the penises of the world. Because that's all our reproductive strategy, and that is fatal to civilization. Boy, doesn't that make that sound kind of high stakes for you? You could be murdering civilization with your penis. <laughs> Your penis will stab civilization in the eye, and not by accident, like you have to apologize later and pretend it was oops, right? But seriously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 changed my. It's kind of made me want to, you know, not get involved in this kind of situation before, and be much more careful about getting into these kind of situations, or be much more diligent, you know. Um, yeah, like you say, you know. Uh, Virtue, you know, that's what it's, it's that's, you know, because all the attraction stuff fades, you know, you know, three oh, months, three to six, six months, months yeah, three, three to six months, you know, and then, uh, you know, and how much time have, are you spending not having sex compared to, to having sex, you know, like 99.1 percent, yeah, exactly, yeah, aggressively more, yeah, hopefully not going all the way to zero, but you know, <laughs> oh no, with your parents, it went all the way to zero, right? Yeah, that's true, yeah. More sex at the beginning means less sex later on. Less sex in the beginning means more sex later on. If a woman withholds sex from you, it's like a man not getting a woman drunk. Mm. Right? Mm. I mean, this is so funny because, I mean, like, feminists are always talking about, well, you know, you mind altering you know, rape and can't give consent and so on, right? But if a drug was administered to women that did what 
potential sexual access does to men's brain, all sex would be considered rape. Right? A woman who is not going to have sex with you for, I don't know, at least a couple of months, what she's doing is she's saying, I don't want you to be drugged when we have sex. Exactly. I'm going to withhold the drug called vagina. I'm going to withhold the frontal lobotomy called I have a hole in me so that you can evaluate me as a human being. So you can see who I am as a human being and not just mm. a body with a vagina attached. Right? I, I need you to, eyes up here, right? <laughs> eyes up here. I need you to look at who I am as a human being and I need to see who you are as a human being. I don't want you to see me as a vagina and I don't want to see you as a drug addled pussy hungry semi ape. <laughs> Let's find out if we like each other before yeah. we do the life altering squishy part connection game, right? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So any woman who starts dangling sexual access is spiking your drink. It is not playing fair, and it is because she does not want you to see who she really is. Right? I don't, I mean, you know the, the beer goggles, that's an old cliche, right? As you keep drinking in a bar, yeah. the women who left get more attractive. A woman who will not, this is the, the, I talked about this in the podcast, Miley Cyrus and the Slut Walker Family Collapse. Still, one of the best titles. But anyway, but um, <laughs> like a woman who puts sexual access front and center, who presents herself in a hypersexualized manner and is overly flirtatious and, and is, who, who parades her hotness and so on. That is a, a woman who has nothing to offer but eggs. It, 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 she's the direct equivalent of the guy who goes to pick up some woman's date in his Lamborghini with his butler strapped to the hood or something, right? <laughs> why, why, yeah. would you, why would you need to present yourself as that wealthy if you're a likable person for who you are? Why would you need to present yourself as that sexual if a coherent man would like you? I said, um, I think it was last year, in uh, the show Estrogen-Based Parasites, about how like the message of Cosmopolitan is, maybe I can fuck you into thinking I'm likable. But vagina, or sexual access, is a mind-altering, mind-diminishing substance. And anyone who needs you to be stupid with lust in order to want to spend time with them has such ridiculously low self-esteem that literally all they have to offer is a hole. A hole between their legs and a hole of where their soul should be. If you had a friend who never ever wanted you to spend time together sober, you would really question the friendship, right? Yeah. I'd had, I'd had thoughts along those lines before, like she, you know, oh, she just wants me to worship her and she was saying, like, oh, will you write me a love song? Will you write me poems? And I don't know. Yeah. 
I guess I always knew it wasn't right when I was drunk. But yeah. Yeah, and what she's yeah, what she's basically saying is, let me see if I can keep these brain altering endorphins going as long as humanly possible. And one day, like we all know this day, if we've been dating without this knowledge, one day you wake up and you look at that person and you're like, you wake up. The fog clears. The brain reboots. And you look at that person and you're like, ew. I have nothing in common with this person other than hormones that I share with goddamn protozoa. I have been drugged. I have been dicknapped. <laughs> Kidnapped, but backwards. Dicknapped. Yeah, yeah, no. Very clever. Yeah. Very clever. Just came up with that. But I've been dicknapped. <laughs> I've been dicknapped. The windowless yeah. van of pussy has driven me into a very dark place, and now I must find some way to get out. <laughs> God, God damn it, I got dicknapped. <laughs> you got dicknapped. Yeah. And we all do, and that's part, part you know, because the, the dick yeah. is like, hey, if we're doing K-reproductive strategy, I'll point one way. If we're doing our reproductive strategy, I got to point every way. <laughs> every way, right? You know, it's like uh, they say this in uh, online shooters. You know, and I've been, yeah. I've, been, uh, I've been somewhat susceptible to this at times as my aging neurological system can no longer keep up with the jolt cold fuel 12-year-olds uh, is that, you know, it's just, oh, just throw some grenades around a corner and maybe somebody will walk into them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and I used to do this in, in the old Unreal Tournament. Um, oh, yeah, I played, I played that. Yeah, so I don't know if you remember, there were these spider mines which were like the shittiest, least skilled weapon possible because you basically would just drop all these spider mines around, you'd run away, and then they'd crawl towards people and blow them up. It was like the least skilled. It's like calling it an airstrike on a chess match. I mean, it was just the least skilled thing humanly possible. <laughs> and I would sometimes, you know, when I'd get frustrated because it's like, I used to be fast enough to do this, but now I'm too slow. Release the spiders. And and it was tempting, although I'd have to sort of grip my teeth and say, because, you know, there are other people who can use that, uh, oh, that, that electricity stun gun thing, and, like, they could just shoot you from, like, or the sniper. They can zoom in and shoot a sniper while jumping off a building. And it's like, I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> I can barely <laughs> yeah. hit someone if we're both still for 10 minutes. I've seen it but, in Counter-Strike. Uh, there's guys that yeah, and, and you see these videos the land, yeah. aiming at exactly the right spot, like as they land, boom. But I don't know if they've got aim bots or cheats or whatever, but yeah. but yeah, it is um, it is uh, <laughs> it's pretty pitiful. But that's what um, the the penis is perfectly going to do: release the spiders. I I, I can't do a high skill precision shot on virtue, yeah. so I'm just going to release the bomb spiders of <laughs> testicular joy juice no, and see what they else. blow up. Why the hell not? You know. Yeah, yeah, can't compete. <laughs> Spray and pray. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, so, and unfortunately, we have a culture now that just promotes dick napping. Because, I mean, I remember the first time I went to Las Vegas for a tech conference. This has got to be lordy, 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 like, I don't know, 18 or 20 years ago. And Vegas is crazy. I mean, everybody knows that, right? But for those who haven't been, it's like, it's like the, the whole world is like a 13-year-old boy's computer screen at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's just like porn everywhere uh, because it's like here's an escort service and because uh, prostitution is legal there, right? And every woman, you know, they'll come up and chat with you and you're like, hey, I'm all that. It's like, oh, no, that's right. I have money, <laughs> right? 
And um, it, it's it's sex drenched. Like the whole thing is just like this R based reproductive strategy uh, fest. And um, holy crap, it's uh, it, it's an insane place to be. But our whole culture is becoming like that. Um, I watched a dance show the other day where these, I don't know, girls who, I don't know, they were in high school, so I don't know, 16, 17, or 18, or whatever, right? They were doing this, like, hip-hop Nicki Minaj butt-slapping, popping stuff, where it's basically like, here, <laughs> I'm going to throw my breasts out into the audience, hit every guy on the cheek, and then they'll come back to me like boomerangs. And it was just, like, yeah. hypersexual. I agree, it's terrible. You see, uh, you know, I, I see it in the UK, you know, 13, 14-year-old girls dressing like, you know, 18, 19-year-old girls you know, used to start dressing, you know, 10 years ago or like strappy tops. And yeah, it's, it's not right. You, you, you're missing out on your childhood there. You know, you're missing out on your, your innocence when you're younger. You know, you, you shouldn't well, be. Well, you're missing out on a man's brain. You know, they say, well, you know, men, men aren't getting a huge amount of respect in the culture these days. And that's partly because men are just rendered constantly stupid by mm -hmm. this hypersexuality. You know, like the more sexual a culture is, like there's a reason why the Victorian age kept women covered up and also invented just about everything known to the modern world. It's like that. there's an old Seinfeld episode where George Costanza stops thinking about sex and becomes a genius. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's truth in that. There's truth in that. It's like, and, and look, I'm not saying that women have to be covered up. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that in a hypersexualized culture, men be, uh, are rendered in a permanent state of mental incompetence. Because the more you look at pretty women, the more that pretty women are plastered everywhere, and the more that there's this hypersexualized culture, and the more it's in movies and TV shows and, and so on, men are just rendered continually stupid. And men masturbate so that they can get their brains back for approximately 12 minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like Drano for the Brano. You know, if I if I squirt my seed, I'm unclogging my neofrontal cortex. Ah, I can see. It's like it's like we're we're crossing the Andes, and we have to masturbate in order to see for 12 minutes. It's like, well, there's going to be a whole lot of crusty stuff on the path behind you, right? Get a break from your balls for, for 12 yeah, minutes. Yeah, get a break yeah, from yeah. your balls. And this is what Socrates said about getting old. And he said, getting old is fantastic because I'm finally free of the demon of sexual desire. Yeah. And uh, it's like it's like my brain. And so, this hypersexualized culture is a is a way of. And I, you know, women are perfectly aware of this. Women are perfectly aware of this. And the degree to which they deny it is the degree to which they're <laughs> even more aware of it, and even more sinister, and manipulative. But women are perfectly aware of this. Men are literally kept in a state of idiocracy by the hypersexualization of culture, and the lower quality women's soul become the more they need to present sexually because you know if you're dumb you don't want to spend time with smart people and if you're not a quality person then you need to reduce the qualities of those around you one way to do it is through alcohol another way to do it is through politics another way to do it is through <laughs> sex and sex generally makes women smarter and men dumber and this hypersexualized culture is um is brutal on men's brains. And I don't think it's an accident that the men who have forsworn women are producing some of the most intellectually fascinating and stimulating content out there. I'm talking about the MGTOW guys. I mean, they're producing stuff out there that is really smart and really deep and well worth listening to. You know, do I agree with it all? Who cares, right? It doesn't matter. The point who, is, who are they it's from? really creative. 
I'm sorry? Who The MGTOW guys? I'm not familiar with them. Oh, uh, it's men going their own way. So, um, uh, the Oh, the guys who are tapping out, the guys who don't want to... Yeah, the guys who are like, I'm not... Yeah. I'm not going to get involved in any legal complications with women. It doesn't mean that there's different levels of MGTOWs and so on. Uh-huh. And these guys are like, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't, I, I'm always interested in fascinating arguments. And I'm always uh, uh, really interested in other people's decisions and, and thoughts. And, uh, you know, the MGTOW guys are really worth listening to in the degree to which they're able to, um, well, they're, they're, some of them sort of say that the goal is to sort of end, end pussy worship. Uh, it, that's my goal too, because <laughs> you know it's like uh, I do not believe that we should pray at the altar of vagina or the appendix or penis or <laughs> anything like that. There's no god of the little finger, and um, these guys are coming up with some great, fascinating, stimulating, like original uh, material. And <laughs> is that the degree to which they are rejecting the pursuit of sexuality? Well. See, human beings are not designed to pursue sexuality. They're designed to to woo for a short period and mate for life. Or at least that's in the K-reproductive strategy thing. We're not designed to be in this state of perpetual dating. I mean, that that's just befogging your brain for decades. So, yeah. Oh, and sorry, just wanted to mention uh, it's actually not legal in Vegas. It's just not uh, in enforced uh, prostitution, apparently, so. Oh, okay. Then just laissez faire. I'm the So that's my sort. I know. Damn, we, I already booked my of... ticket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just while we're doing this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I've had too much with clear thinking. I must go to places. Yeah. Born sitting at a bus stop. Um, so I, I know we. I'm sorry. I hope that this was somewhat helpful. I know we, we talked about a wide variety of topics, but this it is, uh, I think, the aspect of things that. that Oh, you know, power corrupts, power corrupts, and power makes people dumb. It makes people dumb when they have power, and it makes people dumb when power is around them. And I, I, the only power that should exist is virtue, because that's the only power that rejects power. And we, we really need to push back against the our reproductive strategy. Our reproductive strategy is going to fight like hell and it's going to spray tits and ass at us in the hopes that we'll become so stupid or so shamed. You know, oh, you know, you just don't like pretty women because you can't get any pretty women. You know, just stupid shit like that. <laughs> which, which, which would be laughable in its argumentation unless penis and brain befogging was, <laughs> you know, your argument makes no sense at all. However, because your argument comes with vagina, I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Not sure. Um, all, all shaming that has to do with sexuality is especially potent for men because it disarms. And it's supposed to, right? And, and, and that's you know, reproductive reasons, biological reasons for all of that. But it is a war. It is a war of R versus K reproductive strategies in this world. And this woman is not on the K side. And your parents are not able or willing to help you in this area, so you need to educate yourself. Look at the biology of male physiological response. Research the R versus K reproductive strategies. Work on your virtue. Listen, like you have to grit your teeth when you're being dicknapped. You gotta chew your way through the burlap sack, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> and you got to get back out into the sunlight from the cave of male sexual idiocy. Because, you know, you need your wits about you when your wits are gone. 
that's when you need your concentration the most. And so when you are attracted to a woman, be especially alert to the signs of sexual manipulation. And it could all be unconscious, but that's where you really need to be alert. You know, there's, there's, there are millions and millions and millions of good women out there. I truly believe that. Could be wrong. And, and I'm fully sensitive to the criticisms that younger men are handing my way. And obviously, I haven't been in the dating world for, I can't be married for 13 years. And I knew my wife for a year before we got married. So, yeah, 14 years since I've been in the dating market. And I, was date, I wasn't dating women in their 20s, of course, right? Ah, the joys of baldness. But, um, <laughs> yeah, save my life. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fully sensitive to, though I can't speak to it because I'm not dating, to the criticisms that younger men have of me of saying, dude. <laughs> and when they say dude, they mean, dude, am I speaking into your good ear, you ancient crony bastard? <laughs> but um, And they're basically saying, you don't know what it's like out here now. You don't know what women in their late teens and 20s are like. You don't have any clue. You know, they were different when you were our age. And I, you know, what can I say? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. well, I, think... I still believe there's quality women out there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and, and, of course, the other thing, too, is that the rarer they are, if you want to have a relationship, the rarer these women are, the more uh, quickly you need to be able to find them. I mean, the... Yeah. the used to be a gold panner we had you know very refined methods but of finding a gold and you really spent a lot of time sifting in order to find those flakes which led to a mine and um so uh, sorry you were going to say i was just going to say there's there is that kind of um biological urge i think going back to what you were saying with the, the young males versus this is you know criticisms of young males versus yourself there is that kind of urge of like oh i'm young now this is you know this is the period when i'm attractive i need to go out and i need to get you know, as many, you know, this whole numbers idea of like, I have to get my numbers up and, you know, and, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's destructive and it's very short term, it's very short term thinking. Um, yeah. And look, so. the powers that be love promoting this hypersexuality. Mm, yeah. Oh, look at MTV. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the grave, the gravest danger to the state is young men. The, the intelligence, creativity, and mental acuity of, of and young men. Uh, because young men have less to lose than just middle-aged married farts with kids, right? And so young men must be kept in a state of perpetual sexual arousal in order to, uh, to, to, to not have the concentration to change social mores. Uh, and uh, this is... Uh, so, mm. I, I, you know, I, and I'm happy to hear more young men call in and tell me what it's like to date out there. But, I mean... What I often hear is like, this woman was really hot and didn't turn out to be a great person. It's like, really? <laughs> this, this guy was hugely wealthy. He'd inherited $10 billion. And you know what? He didn't even have that great a work ethic. No shit. No shit. It's not like there aren't great, attractive women. And it's not like there aren't Trustafarians with great work ethics. It's just not what you would generally expect. Sure. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, but I think your advice has been really useful. I'm gonna, I've written that down. I'm gonna, what was it? Push back against the our reproductive strategy. Yeah, and do not get dick nap. Do not get dick nap. Yeah, <laughs> the biology of male reproductive reactions. So, 
All right. Well, thanks, Hector. Let, let us know how it goes if, if you thanks don't mind. Thanks very much. I've just got this last point. I've just got a job as a uh, electrical engineer this week, so so that's what I studied at, at university. So it's uh, it's not all bad. So mixed bag. So got a new beginning there, and I'm gonna gonna put everything into that. So congratulations. Thanks. That thanks. is thrilling, and I wish you the very best. I'm sure uh, any employer is is lucky to to have you. So keep us posted, and thanks so much for the call. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. And I have a request for all the listeners, please use the term dicknapped everywhere you can, because if that became a thing, that would make me very happy. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> Every now and then, inspiration strikes. Okay, that was a fairly good one. <laughs> all right, well, up next is Philip. Uh, Philip wrote in with a fake question first, and I'm going to read it before I get to his real what? question. Yeah, hold on, hold on. You, you know this one, stuff, but i got to read it for the listeners. I'd like to call him with the following question. In a free society, how can we ensure that roads won't be built? What if it turns out that building roads is actually not profitable? All the construction companies close down, therefore there will be no one to build them. And we revert to a prehistoric situation as cities slowly starve and descend into chaos. If this is averted, how many lanes will the roads have? What material will they be built out of? What cities will they be connecting? How much will they cost? Please provide the future road network plan for all current countries, including estimated budgets and project timelines, so I can analyze them and decide whether to become an anarchist. Right. All right, now for the real the, question. The, the correct answer is, man, where we're going, we don't need roads. We got flying machines and jetpacks. We need none of that shit. That's pretty funny. I like it. As long as the word grades, gradients isn't in there, I think it's a reasonable question. With associated gradients. I like how you took the time to try and answer the fake question stuff. That's, that's right. great. Okay. Now for the real question. Um, what is the right reason to become a parent? Also, what would be the minimum requirements as far as personal qualities go to be able to responsibly make this choice? And so the, what, what's a good reason for becoming a parent? So, yeah, there are many bad reasons. And... Um, like, uh, the question came up for me when I've been reading uh, Alice Miller's book, The uh, Drama of the Gifted Child, where she writes that um, that some parents have children as a kind of a love hostage, you know, to have someone who has to love them, kind of to compensate for their uh, lost, <clears throat> their lost... Uh, feelings from their own childhoods and right. you know it got me wondering what's what's the right reason to have children uh yeah i mean I, I i don't know if i have any sort of particularly one size fits all answer to that um for me seeing life be created and seeing personalities develop is such an astonishing, miraculous, mind-blowing experience that I wouldn't miss it for the world. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's it's the biggest. I was <clears throat> I was talking to a dad the other day. I was in a coffee shop with my daughter, and we this guy was commenting on how he looked just like she looked just like his own daughter when. She was younger, and, and we started talking about uh, fatherhood and all that. And he said that he used to work at some job. And he quit his job to be a stay-at-home dad. 
I'm like, hey, I think I know where you're coming with this. And he said that it was much more stressful being at home with his kids than it was being at work. Because at work, you know, if something goes wrong, it's just money. But of course, if you're at home and something goes wrong, well, you've got a life that's dependent on you. And I don't find that to be the case. I mean, certainly, like all parents with young children who all seem to be pretty much deaf magnets, uh, there, there is always this concern about safety and all that. But I try not to be, I remember back to my own childhood and try not to be overly paranoid about, about that stuff because that, you know, feminization of society stuff, which we talked about recently in the show, is, um, well, is of concern. So it is an awesome responsibility. It is a profound gift to have a child. You know, when I'm walking with my daughter and she slips her hand in mine and keeps chattering away and it's, it's just automatic, you know, and it's just, it's delightful. It's, uh, it's really delightful. And, um, she's, uh, she's great company. She's, um, very funny and very warm hearted and very assertive and uh, courageous and, uh, all things that I find, uh, uh admirable. And, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. I mean, I, I reckon like part of parenting is, is the role of the dice. You get the personality that your kid gets to some degree, genetically, it seems. And there's some minor adjustments that are possible, but she's a, a really great person. And she's an unbelievably valuable addition uh, to, to my life. And so to me, saying, well, why would you have kids? I'm not saying you're asking that, but the question would be sort of like, like well, why would you want a great friend? Why would you want a best friend? Why would you want someone who loves you and who you love uh, in your life? Uh, but of course, the, the requisite is that you uh, act in a way that your children can love you. My daughter's capacity to love me, as I've talked about in earlier shows, is highly diminished by the reality that she's not here by choice and can't leave. So in, in the least voluntary relationships, we need the greatest possible virtue. And so... I have to be, uh, you know, at my very best around my daughter. And that I, I like that challenge. I like that challenge. Uh, and um, so I would say that the qualities that make for a good parent are the same qualities that make for a good person only more so because that they have to overcome the involuntary nature of the relationship. So, you know, honesty, uh, courage, virtue, self-control, Dignity, uh, respect, and uh, calm, and a willingness to negotiate, and nimbleness of uh, um, negotiation in in tricky situations, uh, and um, a, a willingness to do. This is true of all relationships: to do what's necessary in the moment to ensure the flourishing of the relationship uh, in the future. So, I think you know this is the, the virtues that you would work on just as a person who wants to be a good person would be the same as the virtues that would help you as a parent, but as a parent only more so. That's the general, you know, because, and the reason I have to point that out is for most people, the relationship as a parent is like, well, less so, right? Wherever there's an involuntary relationship, people assume where well, you don't need as much quality, right? Which is why you don't get good service from the IRS. Uh, I was reading uh, recently about the fact that the FBI used to use this hair analysis, right? And and what they would do is they would, you know, get hairs and compare hairs and see if they found a match in the hairs and so on. 
And um, that was their big, well, one of their big sort of scientific advancements. And um, as, it, as, as, as people sort of found out, uh, and I don't know exactly how this, uh, how this came about, but it's, um, it's horrendous how bad all of this um, forensic hair evidence. Uh, so nearly all the trials before the year 2000, the, um, the Justice Department and the FBI have acknowledged that almost every examiner in an elite FBI forensic unit gave flawed testimony in almost all trials in which they offered evidence against criminal defendants. This happened before, for, before, the 2000, before the year 2000. This was going on for 20 years or more. They don't even know because prior to 85, they're computer, not computerized records. And it's absolutely astonishing. Of 28 examiners, this is from, I think, WashingtonPost.com. Of 28 examiners with the FBI laboratory's microscopic hair comparison unit, 26 overstated forensic matches in ways that favored prosecutors in more than 95% of the 268 trials reviewed so far. Some of these guys went to death row. Some of them died or were killed in prison. 32 of these defendants were sentenced to death. 14 have been executed or died in prison. Now, this doesn't mean that the FBI is responsible for all those deaths, because maybe there were other circumstances that... But, you know, if, if, if you or I knowingly provide false evidence in a criminal trial, I mean, we go to jail. These guys provided apparently false evidence for over 20 years. And uh, that's just horrendous. But see... They, they don't, I mean, what, what are the consequences? I mean, what's happened to the IRS? They targeted these, um, teapot, I mean, nothing happens. You, you, nothing really can happen. Nothing can really happen. It happens with Hillary Clinton. She uses her own private email server, deletes 35,000 emails. Well, what can happen? And so, reversing the, I mean, how, how great are teachers in government schools? And you have a choice, for the most part. And, um, and that same, it's not voluntary, so I don't have to be quality metric or standard or lack of standards it goes on in parenting, too. My parents, uh, my, my kids are here. They can't leave. They're dependent on me. They've got no choice. And because we've been exposed so much to there's no choice, so I don't have to be that good at what I do, is one of the reasons why, you know, parents regularly turn into this IRS crap. Arbitrary rules, arbitrarily enforced, random punishments. You do things to your kids you'd never do to anyone else. You, you hit them, you yell at them, you lock them in their rooms, you send them to bed without dinner. I mean, you don't do that shit at work. You don't do that shit with your friends. You don't do that crap with your parents. And yet with kids, this uh, power and corruption just seems to go hand in hand. They don't have a choice. And so we can treat them like crap. And so that's the, the, the trend that I'm trying to buck in the show is to say, look, I mean, because you have, because biologically, right? I mean, the IRS is a moral construct, but the biology can't be moral or immoral. But because biologically, this is the way it is, you need to have the very highest standards with your children if you want to be a good person. So I just think a focus on ethics with the caveat, but even more so than you think. Uh, and certainly, almost almost certain more so than was ever provided to you in terms of virtue as a kid. Uh, that would be my suggestion. Does that help at all? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I kind of I got the argument from people interested in self knowledge that some 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 of them that um, dealing with their own childhood trauma is such a handful that they kind of don't want to involve another person in that. Which I mean, it if it, I, I guess that's that's valid if they if they feel like that. What what do you think about that? You mean that I'm not sure what what your question is. Well, they say that given their own histories and how hard it is to deal with it, uh, they would they would rather not have not not risk even repeating that even in. Oh, you mean they don't want to have kids uh, because they know about their own trauma and they don't want to repeat it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, this having kids is a you know nobody has to have kids. It's a the very personal choice. And um, if people feel that they want to, fantastic. And if they don't, then they don't have to. Um, I think that if you have knowledge of your own trauma, then there's things that you can do to deal with that trauma and become an even better parent than if you, you know, maybe even a better parent than if you hadn't had that trauma to begin with. You know, in the same way that people can end up with very healthy lifestyles if they have some healthy scale, some kind of health scale. So, um, you know, the presence of trauma in childhood can can be a spur to make uh, people better parents than they would have otherwise been. So I don't buy the sort of trauma means I can't, uh, I can't be a parent or shouldn't be a parent. Just, you know, go to therapy and do the work and you'll be better. I mean, I had trauma as a kid, lots of it, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be a parent. I think I've tried to do as much reversal as possible. Yeah, well, my personal opinion is that it's kind of, we now have this great opportunity to end the cycle of abuse without ending the cycle of life. Life, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, does that help? Is there anything else you wanted to ask? No, that's 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 okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. Great question. All right. Thanks, Philip. And we'll work on getting that, you know, cost-benefit analysis, estimated budget, project timeline, and everything for the roads over to you as quickly as possible. Please, yeah, please absolutely. Do. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Up next is RJ. RJ wrote in and uh, said, "If I can make the case for advertising as the model best suited for free domain radio and its audience, would you amend your position regarding having advertising versus using a donation model? If yes, please allow me to make the case for advertisers over using a donation model. If not, how can you profess to be an advocate for the use of reason when you refuse to apply the lens of reason to a fundamental aspect of your life, namely how you fund your existence and your primary chosen function in society?" That seems like kind of an aggressive way. <laughs> Let me speak or you're a hypocrite damned to hell for eternity. Right? But all right, go ahead. Hey, Seth. Hi. Uh, I want to start off by saying maybe the question came off a, a little harsh. Uh, I really a little respect, harsh. I really respect you know, what you do. It's one thing if it's on the internet. It's another thing if it's with a person, right? But okay, go ahead. Yeah, I really respect what you do, and I've certainly learned a lot from your um, program. So take everything I say with... Uh, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an amateur as much as I, I profess to be a professional in marketing. I've been doing it for three years, so I'm looking at this through, you know, somewhat fresh eyes as well. Um, but I think the way I worded it was specifically to make the point that you talk all the time about, you know, logic and reason being clearly succinct and, and separate from preference. You know, I mean, if I say, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, I, I don't like the state because it just doesn't sit well with me, that that's not a very strong argument, you know, uh, to oppose it, right? 
Uh, it doesn't universalize. So in the same sense, um, my line of thinking is with regards to your choice of how to fund your operation, um, you know, first of all, uh, to dis- disambiguate whether it, it's, you know, something that you've spent time, you know, I, I don't know this, right? I'm not part of your organization. I don't know. But, um, and I, I've listened to your podcast a lot. So I don't know if, if you covered it somewhere else, but if it's something that you've spent considerable time weighing the pros and cons, or if you've simply said, you know, um, I, I don't think that having an advertiser would suit me well and then made it a matter of preference. Um, to which, if that's the case, I, I, you know, you're entitled to your preferences. It's your show and by all means, you know, okay, okay. I, I get the fit. preamble. I get the preamble. I, okay, I, I understand. Okay. So yeah. let's get, let's get to the meat of the matter, right? Sure. So, um, knowing the little bit that I know about internet marketing and, you know, um, monetizing content online, you know, there's something that that's thrown around called CPM, which I'm sure you might've been probably familiar with is, um, cost per attaining a thousand impressions of some, some sort of advertisement. So, um, if, if an advertise, if a publisher says you can put your ad on my network or on my podcast and my CPM is $20. Well, that means why, why M for thousand? Just because M, why is that Roman for thousand or? Yeah, I, I, I believe it's CPT. I believe it's Roman. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, so anyway, so um, here's what I'm working off of. So a, a good CPM for um, you know, rich content placement is anywhere between five and you know twenty dollars. Um, I say good. That's a pretty big range, but it does range really. Five is premium, and then a, anyway, that's my experience. So you maybe pay five bucks for an untargeted audience, but if you had demographics that matched your product, you might pay more because it would be worth more to those people, right? That's the general concept. Okay, got it. So my thought is um, for every thousand people in your audience, if let's say um, we had a, a adoption ratio of the donation model of uh, 1%, which I don't know mm-hmm. if that's high or low, but if you had 1%, who was doing the recommended 50 cents per episode, you'd be achieving a $5 CPM. Right. So in that sense, um, my argument kind of starts with that and would say, okay, so if, first of all, if advertisers can offer you, I don't know, let's say a 10 or $20 CPM, um, does that, does that, you know, I mean, I would assume that having more funding for your show has to add to the positive end of what you, you know, your show can grow faster, maybe more bandwidth more resources always helps. Um, and certainly in the donation little segments where you talk about donations and, and the issue around that, I sense that there is a concern about whether the funding will be there or continue to be there. So I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is if, if you, and I agree that, the, that what you do with three to radio is positive and, and productive. So if that's the operating assumption, wouldn't the, the audience benefit most from the platform being sustainable? And if, if advertising is the means by which that, that could be most guaranteed, Shouldn't that be the, the, the best course? Well, I mean, you, you certainly, so if you're saying, well, more money is the ideal, right? I mean, but you're only looking at one variable in the equation, right? Which is always the challenge. And, and you know, you may have a very good case, but the, the other, there are other variables in the equation. Now, the, the question is, of course, are all other things equal, right? And that's the, uh, that's the challenge. Um, would, advertisers feel comfortable with my content. You know, I annoy people <laughs> on a fairly regular basis, right? And so would advertisers feel comfortable with that? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Now, of course, uh, I don't know exactly how it works on, on YouTube. We've gone through sort of a couple of different calculators and so on, but the, the YouTube side would be handled by 
by YouTube's algorithms and, and so on, right? Also, I also wonder the degree to which uh, cynicism might be there for, uh, for commercials, right? I mean, we, we talk about some very, very deep and intense and powerful topics in this show. If it's like, and now this stuff cleans your toilet, you know, like, I mean, would, would it be that kind of stuff uh, where, um, would, and, and now back to the person crying about X, Y, and Z, right? Or now back to our topic of the gruesome impacts of World War One and so on, right? Um, I don't know that I mean, people may feel somewhat cynical uh, about that and say, well, that's, you know, that's pretty commercial. And, and these are sort of very, very sensitive topics. It's kind of like, I mean, to me, it's kind of a unique show that way, if that, if that makes any sense, because there just is so much intense and sometimes personal stuff that it would be hard to find, I think, places where ads would, would go in and, uh, and so on. The other thing, too, is that um, when you start off advertising, you know, you, the Super Bowl has pretty high-quality ads. Of course, when you're starting, as you know, you know, you don't tend to generally get very high-quality ads. Uh, and so it would be kind of tough, uh, kind of tough to, uh, to figure this, uh, this stuff out. And um, also, if, if, if I am, it, it, the quality of my motivation is also very important as well. With the show right now, I, I am in the business of delivering philosophy to my listeners because my listeners pay or those who choose to and I think do the right thing at freedomainradio.com slash donate. I'm in the business of delivering the maximum value in conversation to my listeners. Now, when you move to an advertising model, your business model has changed and you are now in the business of delivering your audience to your advertisers. And that is a different mindset. And you can say, ah, yes, but the way that you get the audience to your advertisers is to focus on blah de blah de blah But the reality is that right now I have to consistently work, and I can't tell you how hard I work, how much reading I do, uh, how much, like I'm constantly coming up with new stuff that we can talk about, right? Like we're talking about race recently. Uh, we've been talking about this R versus K reproductive strategy. We've been talking about some of the neurological effects of romantic attraction. This is not stuff that I talked about like a year or two ago. In, in any sort of substantial way. So I'm constantly reading new stuff. We're constantly researching new stuff. We're reading the news. We're, we're scouring for the most interesting and uh, valuable, uh, hopefully valuable stories. Like we're working on this big presentation on George uh, Washington. And I'm completely fascinated by McCarthyism at the moment. I'm doing huge amounts of reading on that. So the shows are like the tip of the iceberg. The amount of work that goes on that results in these shows. The shows are like 5% of the amount of work that's going on in the background, right? I mean, it's like, a, it's like a duck in a swift current, you know? It doesn't seem to be working that hard, but underneath the surface, there's a lot of energy going on. And so the focus would inevitably change because the business model would change. And if my business model then becomes delivering audience to advertisers rather than delivering philosophy to audience, that is, um, that is a challenge. Um, also, of course, when you advertise, particularly on YouTube, well, I mean, YouTube uh, can be a bit, uh, a bit random <laughs> at times, right? I Actually, mean, Steph, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, someone sent it to me earlier this week. Antiwar.com, apparently they had like their ability to do Google ads just removed because of the content that they were using. 
And there's a couple other alternative media sites. I think James Corbett had this problem as well, where they just demonetized his video. So essentially, his advertising revenue went to zero through Google, like overnight. Oh, so was he doing it through? Um, was he doing it through YouTube? Put up an article about his YouTube videos being demonetized. So just wow. randomly flip of the switch, boom, there goes your ad revenue because I don't know, you're doing controversial material or you're doing stuff that advertisers don't want, uh, you know. By Downey, and now we're talking about a race issue. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, apparently it happened pretty quick, and I don't know if that's been adjusted or changed, but you know, when you're working with a third-party group, that stuff can be rather arbitrary and outside of your spectrum of control as well. Oh, yeah, and, and good luck trying to call someone at YouTube, right? <laughs> no I, mean, if, I, I believe that YouTube is Skynet. Like, there's actually no fucking human beings anywhere there. <laughs> Like it, it, they or they're kept in cages by the servers that have taken over human beings, you know, apparently to turn them into paper clips. If I remember a prior show, correctly. <laughs> but um, and also I like the I'm always trying to to work to protect my capacity to deal with controversial topics. Like I've had this mentioned to me by a bunch of different people, some of whom are pretty well connected. Like that I have this like weird ability. <laughs> to talk about controversial stuff in a way that doesn't make people insane. And, and I think that's, that's fairly true. I think that I have, and I really want to protect what, what I can talk about. You know, if I want to talk about the voluntary family, if I've got some information about race, if I want to talk about feminism, or if I want to talk some of the negative aspects of, of gender relations, and like, I don't want to feel like who, um, who might be upset, really upset. I mean, it's not like I don't care or whatever like that, but I really want to protect and, and we're always pushing the envelope about stuff that's difficult to talk about. And look, <laughs> I mean, when I talk about stuff that my audience doesn't like, they certainly let me know. Right? I put this video out about Walter Scott recently where I said, you know, hey, you know, you know, we still got this innocent, still proven guilty thing. And people are like, ah, you're defending the cop. No, but uh, <laughs> facts are facts, you know, regardless of ideology. Uh, and people think I'm pro-statist or whatever. Of course, the reality is that, that getting mad at a cop is missing the point, right? It, it's much more subversive to point out that the system is the problem and not an angry cop. People who are like, oh, that, that cop gunned someone down, that's the problem. No, the cop, problem is not that the cop gunned someone down. The problem is the whole damn thing. Uh, and I did a podcast, uh, we haven't released it yet, on all the status involvements in the horrifying tragedy of this Walter Scott shooting, all completely unnecessary. But So, yeah, I mean, people do let me know, you know, in terms of comments and in terms of pulling subscriptions and so on. And if you <laughs> find the approach of, innocent until proven guilty. Plus, also people think that I'm just talking to them. You know, like, well, why don't you rail about how all cops are blah, 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 and the state is blah, blah, blah. Because I'm not always, like, I have this real challenge of, of teaching from kindergarten all the way up to graduate school with the same podcast. And if I'm always teaching at graduate level, then there's no kindergartners. If I'm always teaching at kindergartners, there's no graduate school. I, I'm not always talking to the experts. You know, sometimes I'm talking to those outside of our sphere of knowledge. You know, with the um, the Zimmerman uh, video, we got two million people to see a peaceful parenting message, a skepticism of the state message, and it was an entry to people listening to these podcasts. Now, if I'd started off screaming about how evil the state is, then there wouldn't have been anybody really outside of the people who already understand this. I'm, I'm not a big one for preaching to the choir always. Absolutely love to do it. Love the advanced stuff uh, that happens. Uh, but, you know, if you... If you find something I say you know, shocking or surprising or negative, you know, it, it, it may be that I'm not actually uh, talking to you. Uh, 
you know, and, and, I, and I can't say I'm not talking to you because, you know, it's supposed to go out to a more general audience. But um, if I have appetizers, then my revenue sources are more concentrated. Whereas if I'm asking listeners for uh, their donations, then my revenue sources are more diverse. And therefore, I'm less concerned about uh, offense hitting revenue. And I can be more free in what I speak about. And that is um, something that I think grows the show more so than just sort of having more money. There just, are potential I'll just conflicts. Add something to what you said, Scott. Yeah, go ahead. If, uh, you know, if we had Bob's Gold Shop as the big advertiser for the show, and it's, hey, this Bitcoin thing's coming around. Let's talk about that. Bob's Gold Shop might not like that. Or we might be, if we talk about this, what will Bob's Gold Shop say? I, you know, being dependent on the listeners, we don't have to worry about those type of weird conflict of interest where it's, should we talk about that? Can we talk about that? What will happen? That, that's not the type of stuff we want in our headspace when it comes to doing shows and subjects that we're going to talk about. The other thing, too, of course, is that if we take advertisements from the companies, the, I mean, what if those companies have government contracts? What if they supply to the U.S. military? in some fashion. Like, let's say we have some toilet bowl cleaner or whatever, and said toilet bowl cleaner actually supplies to the U.S. military, you know? Do you feel comfortable with that kind of company? It's like, oh. <laughs> you know? And so it just becomes uh, more of a challenge that way and becomes an additional complication. And uh, In addition to having to actually know, sell the ads yeah. themselves, which is not a, a labor-neutral proposition. That's it, a full-time job in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Mike, you had some stuff. I'm sorry, I don't know if I sort of dipped in and took the stuff that you wanted to to talk about. Oh, well, just because there's kind of a list of common things that come up around the subject, and I hope you don't mind, RJ, if I kind of drop a few things. And if you have counter-objections or other points to these, please let me know. Cause, uh, yeah, well, we'll, shut up. We'll, we'll do our bit, and then we'll shut up and let you, RJ, take, take it from there. Because sure. it's, it's a question that a lot of people have, and I mean, it's a good question. If advertising or there's a different way to uh, monetize the show so we can do this and, you know, not have to put in donation pitches or that type of stuff, great. <laughs> it's not like asking for uh, donations is a fun thing within the show, but it's a necessary thing to keep it, uh, keep it growing. So, in-show advertisements, they disrupt the show potentially, like Steph mentioned, if you have someone that's, you know, in the middle of an important conversation, like the first call today, we don't want to interrupt that with, you know, buy something. It would just seem a bit odd. I know. Now, plus, do, do you want your product to be right next to the word dick-napping? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to, fundamentally. <laughs> That's a great point. Estrogen-based parasites. Buy these maxi pads. <laughs> this makeup can make you look prettier. Stop painting yourself like a sex clown. I mean, <laughs> just how do we know whether this is going to mesh? And there would actually be a cottage industry of people finding outrageous things that I was saying with ads that came in next and saying, isn't this ludicrous? Anyway, go on, sorry. <laughs> Is that like the one word answer now? It's just dick napping to whatever someone says take ads or just <laughs> dick napping. <laughs> Moving on now. <laughs> but, um, you know, advertisers can be targeted. You do controversial stuff. I mean, guys, I think every other day you hear Rush Limbaugh's advertisers are getting targeted because he said something. It certainly makes your monetary source a lot easier to be uh, gone after, which not a positive. Um Conflicts of interest. I mentioned the like buy gold type thing. Could you talk about Bitcoin? I haven't even thought about other conflicts of interest that could come up with advertisers and certain subjects, but I'm sure there's a litany of them. And that's a problem that I mean, I'm glad that we don't even have to think about that. I'm sure other people do. And, you know, that's that's another challenge. Um, yeah, you can't bet all the advertisers you might want on your show for everything they've done or might do or 
or anything like that, right? I mean, you know, let's say we get Chick-fil-A ads, right? And then Chick-fil-A has something homophobic that kind of, I don't know, like, I mean, ugh, you know, what do we do then? And you know, anyway, so go ahead. Um, additional work to actually sell or procure advertisers slash maintain relationships. As we mentioned, that's like a full-time thing in and of itself. And it's not really something I want to do. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather be working on trying to produce quality shows and research and that type of stuff as opposed to trying to sell advertisements. So will we have to bring someone else on or outsource that? I mean, then. And, and how much to, would they charge? Yeah. Right. Then, I mean, then you got to. How much make, would they, they may take a percentage of the advertisement? Uh, in which case you're getting less money or you pay them a fixed salary whether they sell ads or not. Uh, so, and, and you'd have to pay that money out before you even found out what, what ad revenue you might get. But sorry, Mike, go ahead. And uh, you mentioned this before, but I'll just, since it's on my list, guaranteed criticism about who we receive funding from. I'm sure if you took an ad from Bob, people will find stuff about Bob, which is maybe contrary to something we've said. It's not like we we don't fit in a slot as a show. I mean, there's like, this is a libertarian show. This is a men's rights show. This is a financial show. You know, we don't really fit in a slot. And hey, you did you know that, that that Bob just just posted that he he spanked his kid? Are you going to yeah. take money or, or that he's donated money to to Hillary Clinton or like, are you going to take money from someone who's so diametrically against me, opposed to blah? blah, blah. Guaranteed to happen. <laughs> Guaranteed to happen. Um, cheapens the show. I put buy toilet water filters now in my notes. I mean, some of the ads on some of uh, I listen to some libertarian shows. I listen to some men's rights shows and, you know, watch a bunch of YouTube videos. And it's, you know, not to take pot shots at some of the advertisements, but, you know, not exactly stuff that strikes me it's not pepsi or, <laughs> or fortune 500 companies that are well known to the general public on average that are buying and sometimes the, the quality like the production quality of the ads is not <laughs> no not daniel lanois mixing this stuff so to speak <laughs> well that's another thing you know do they produce their own ad for you to run or do you get in the business of helping them produce your ad is it readings then are you reading you know, with stuff reading, buy the toilet filters. Buy the toilet filters now. They're the best toilet filters of all the toilet filters that are out there. You know, not exactly something that I'd be enthused about doing. What was it Harry Brown with? I think it was Drive Spin or something like that. Like, he, Harry Brown had, like, the most, and I'm glad they did it. Nothing wrong with it. But he had, like, the most obscure product. It was something to do with server disk management or something like that. Like, how many of his audience members are managing <laughs> server farms or something? <laughs> But this was the just the, the, the and he would read, you know, if you have a server farm of more than nine thousand servers, you're gonna need like <laughs> I'm not sure this is hugely targeted, you know, but but he just wanted you know, these were the guys willing to pay the bills to keep the show on the air and yeah, I didn't mind it. I have nothing against advertising, you know, I mean, but um we either take money from some people or we take time from everyone. Yeah. And um you know, I, I can't judge whether people have more money than time, but other people can in terms of what they donate. Sorry, Mike, what do you want to say? I know with me, I mean, you know, if there's an app that I use on a regular basis or something I use on a regular basis and there's the free version with the ad all over it and I can pay a couple bucks to have the ad removed if it's something I'm using on a regular basis, I will gladly pay the couple bucks to have the ad removed just so I don't have to look at it and I can kick back some change to the people that have put in the work to produce something of value to me, you know? <laughs> well, that's the other thing too, is would we have a two-tiered model? In other words, would we keep donations to the ad-free version in which case we've got two versions of shows and how do we restrict that where well, we can't the moment you try and restrict people's access to something on the internet it just goes torrent right i yeah. mean it's like hey you can pay five dollars a month get access to the archives of free domain radio or you can search for them on usenet 
Oh, there's another show I listen to that is behind a paywall, and it's like I pay like six dollars a month to have access to this, and there's people that torrent it, and it's like it's if you like this thing, six dollars a month for Christ's sakes! I mean, wait, come on. you man whore, are you listening to someone else? Oh, oh, I'll have to edit you this. You clearly bit have out. not read the fine print of your contract. Your phone will only go to me. You will only have one Skype contact, and that is me. You will only have one access to the internet, and that is to me. Sorry. Which part of your personality am I speaking to right now? So not... <laughs> oh, God, if we could track all that shit, we'd be way further ahead than we are. Um, so that's just in-show advertisements. There's, you know, YouTube advertisements, which whenever we do a YouTube video where we talk about donations, that's like the first thing that comes up. Dude, turn on ads on your videos. I won't have a problem with it. Well, you know, frankly, there's a lot of donators that like the way we do things and they would have a problem with it and i we've gotten that kind of feedback too so you know if we did go the advertising route that also means upsetting a lot of people that have been supporting the show all along to enable its existence well th- but that's the other challenge too is that the show has grown based upon existing advertise uh, people who've donated so let's just say that you just donated 50 bucks to the show or whatever right mm-hmm. and you then want to go back and listen to all podcasts and you find they've got ads all over them you'll be like well wait a minute Yep. I'm paying twice now. I just donated, uh, and now I've got ads. And uh, you know, people might say, "Hey, you know, if you're gonna put ads on, I want my fifty bucks back." <laughs> kind yep. of thing. It's not. Yeah. Um, on my note, it says changes focus to producing YouTube ad impressions slash YouTube views instead of producing content which is valuable to listeners. That's a nice way of saying we will never do another parenting show because we do those full well knowing that a very small percentage of the normal YouTube listenership is actually gonna watch watch them. <laughs> We do a show oh, no, on that's, economic that's doom and yeah. gets a ton of yeah, news, if, if we do, events, it, yeah. lots of news, parenting, especially like variances of parenting, breastfeeding, not gonna, important stuff, very important stuff. Some of the most important stuff we do is about parenting and, you know, raising children healthily. And it doesn't do nearly as well from a, a view standpoint, which means we'd be geared less from doing that type of stuff, which frankly, I mean, that's the content I want to do and I find the most rewarding to produce to doing, you know, like, hey, look, Jennifer Lawrence got her nude photos hacked, which will do a million views. <laughs> well, and, you know, they, they, we get donations from people where the view count is not high, but the impact on people's lives is very high. Yeah, exactly. Like, so the, imp- like, you know, we did this this video um, on, uh, like, I don't know. The breastfeeding one is a good example. The breastfeeding one, yeah. About that. The circumcision one, I mean, again, not really popular stuff in the general, but stuff that has been hugely influential in people's lives and major decisions around their parenting. Yeah, or, or stuff we like some of the relationship call-in shows, which, you know, we we get, like, this. The people say, this show saved my marriage. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, some people donate, and they donate, I think, nicely based upon that proportion, you know, with <laughs> Freedom Main Radio. It's a lot cheaper than getting divorced. And um, and so the the view count on some of those videos doesn't even hit 10,000. Yeah. But, and, and of course, the podcasts are, are, are much, much more. But, but that stuff doesn't necessarily get viewed as much, but the impact it has on those who view it is huge. And that we get more. Of, and I, I want to do stuff that changes people's lives. I mean, I don't want to do stuff that just, you know, titillates eyeballs. And I'm not saying that, RJ, that you're suggesting that's all we do. But if you're focusing on views, um, if that's your source of revenue rather than impact, uh, we get donations based upon the impact that the show has and on that's the action. feedback stuff, too. Right? That's great feedback, right? So we know, so if we just go by view count, we're going to get a very different perspective mm-hmm. on what actually impacts 
people's lives. Like, so I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think of one that, like, I'm trying to think, but the Robin Williams one, we did the Me Plus and all that, so there was stuff that's impactful uh, in that. But we've had some shows. Oh, yeah, like, so, I mean, the big one, of course, is the story of your enslavement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and people watch that. Does it actually change people's lives? I'm not sure that it does. I, I don't think, think I've ever thing. gotten someone who emailed me said, I watched this video and here's a donation. It's like, <laughs> like I've watched Story of Your Enslavement yeah. and it changed my life. Here's a donation. No, most people are like, A, I'm depressed, and B, where's your solution, right? As if I haven't <laughs> done anything else in the world. But that's got the highest view count, but you could argue that certainly relative to the view count, it has had the lowest impact on actually changing people's lives for the better. Whereas other shows around, around parenting and relationships are much lower view count, but a much higher impact in terms of positively changing, uh, helping people to change their own lives. Stuff that we do about economics and the Fed and so on, love doing it, love economics, doesn't really change people's lives very much, but they get a higher view count than uh, the stuff that does change people's lives. And you didn't exactly leave your profitable career in software to become a podcaster because the world needed a philosopher more than it needed another software executive. And I mean, I left my very stable job with lots of paid time off in the middle of a big recession, not because I love- I've had enough of this predictability. <laughs> I, sleep? That's no fun. Oh, who needs sleep? Sleep's not important. But I did it because I want to talk about important stuff, not because, hey, you know, stability. Yay. <laughs> Make the sacrifice in one area because there's important stuff to do in another area. And I think we have noticed that when we put out a show that really does hit people where they live and give them some capacity or tools to empower positive change in their own lives. We know that based upon donations. Mm-hmm. And this is why the view count, which is what the advertisers are looking at, they're not the only the only behavior the advertisers are fundamentally interested in is a buying behavior, as in buy my product. And again, this is not a criticism. This is just the basic economics. And you know, people respond to incentives. And we're people, we can't say economics applies to everyone except us and our advertisers. So we are basically in the business of selling uh, toilet filters or whatever, right? We're in the business of selling gum. We're in the business of, and that's, that's our business. And, and we're not, with the only behavior that us and our advertisers fundamentally are colluding on is a specific purchasing behavior. Whereas right now, by focusing on donations, we are most focused upon positive life changes that really help people. That's what we're selling because that's what people tend to donate based upon. Yeah. And if people are curious, you know, why are you doing a certain show on this subject or that subject? It's because that's what the donators want us to do. We pay attention to the notes that people send us with their donations and, you know, the donators that email me and go, oh, this was great. I mean, that type of feedback is great. If you want more of something and you donate to the show, I mean, put it in the donation uh, note or send me an email and let me know. I mean, that's the type of feedback that we you know, it's not like we don't look at everyone else's feedback, but the people that are putting food on the table and keeping the doors open, metaphorically, you know, that's uh, those are the people that we pay a lot of attention to when it comes to what they're finding real value in. RJ, have you donated to the show? I have, actually, but I'm not up to um, the pace that's recommended. Okay, okay, but I'm just, I wasn't trying, I wasn't going to guilt you or anything, I was just, sure. just kind of curious. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sorry that sorry. we gave you such a, you know, massive brain dump. <laughs> you know, obviously, this has been, I mean, it's a conversation I've had uh, and we've had for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry that it was such a, a massive brain dump. And, you know, maybe um, it's all nonsense and you've got a, a better model. But that's sort of where our thinking is at. No, I, I think the fact that you guys had so much 
to say on it shows that it is something you've given a lot of thought to and weighed pretty um, carefully before deciding one way or the other on. Oh, um, people have sent me lots of suggestions about things we could possibly do, and I, if it's something that people think could add value to the show, I always look into it. Like, sure. hey, Mike, have you ever thought about selling T-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> thought never crossed my mind, Steph. What? <laughs> I think, I think, and it's so long ago, I could barely remember, but I, I think that that was some controversy early on, right? It got really mad at people who said, buy, t- you know, get T-shirts, get T-shirts, I'll buy your T-shirts, get T-shirts, I'll buy your T-shirts. And we, we spent a lot of time putting all these T-shirts together, and then we sold like four T-shirts. And it was just like, oh, come on, guys, come on, you know? Right. Um, but um, one that comes yeah, to I mind mean, we, is Patreon. Tried. A lot of people have mentioned Patreon to us, which is a a platform for lots of content producers, people on YouTube and elsewhere, to uh, you know collect donations. And the reason we don't have a Patreon is they take a much larger chunk than PayPal does when it comes to uh, fees, which you know a, a couple percentage points means quite a bit. So that's that's why we don't use Patreon. For anyone wondering, it it's frankly too expensive. Well, and the other thing, too, is that it's not a zero-sum game, right? Because people will very rarely watch commercials and donate, right? Like, when was the last time you wrote a check to, um, like, MSNBC or something, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> not how it works. So um, we are going from something which works-ish at the moment. I mean, obviously, we'd like to get the percentage of people donating up. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I- I'm willing to match, you know, hard work and, and visionary um, expansion of philosophy to whatever funds people see fit to put into our hot little hands. But we have a sort of situation that works ish at the moment and, you know, bird in the hand, two in the bush kind of stuff. If we decide to move to another model, uh, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But if it doesn't work, that would not be good. Well, can we, can we just say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> we're doing a 360, pull all the podcast advertisements, you know? And if the new model didn't work, um, then we'd have to try and resurrect the um, donation model, which you know might take another couple of months to get back up to speed, and you know we could end up uh, with a serious hole uh, in our uh, our finances. And you know it's not like we have the kind of finances where a serious hole no. would be like ah, you know, it's not like the Rockefeller, you know, ah, drop twenty bucks, <laughs> you know, it's not uh, anything like that. It's a big big hole in in. You know, we still have to eat. Rents due on the first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the cash flow is king in all businesses, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, some people are on like a 90-day payout. Uh, And I remember this from my own business entrepreneurial experience. It's like, yep, it'll take them 90 days to pay you, but your rent is due in two days, right? So uh, those are all the challenges. Sorry, RJ. We'll I just promise jumped you. in I'll again, RJ. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to let you guys say, you know, whatever, because it's it's a contentious issue. Um, and you guys have an on-the-ground view of what's taking place, and you know your audience better than I ever possibly could as an outsider and than anyone else could as an outsider. Um, so certainly, you know, I would yield to whatever you ultimately, uh, you know. I'm glad to have a chance to put these ideas out there and no, to chat with don't you guys. don't yield. I mean, look, sometimes we're inside. We can't see something that's obvious because we're inside. So, um, you know, right. make your face. I, I mean, don't, sure. don't yield just no, because we don't, to, lots of I don't mean to fully yield. I, I meant to yeah. just say, like, I, I wanted to yield all the time that you guys wanted to take to, you know, I didn't want to interrupt, you know, right. why you guys were trying to come up with the reasons and list all the reasons. But to, to address some of the points you guys brought up, um, the cost of bringing on advertisers, you know, certainly can be uh, substantial or just the transition, you know, infrastructure wise to, to change your systems and model to, to incorporate ads. Um, Steph said something about going back and having to modify previous podcasts when you have new advertisers and so forth. And 
that's just sort of not the industry practice. It's kind you of like sell it during the current stuff, I'd imagine. You buy that podcast, so you're getting t- these four pet podcasts that are coming out this week. Whatever you're you're scheduled in, those things go on the archives for all of eternity. You're in there. You know, no one's really you know you know the archives don't perform typically as much as the new content. So if you're an advertiser and you have that's actually Whatever not the case is. with us. We have a lot of old downloads. People that start at one, download no, what I shows mean, and head on. No, what I mean. last time I checked, we were we were spread pretty evenly on interest throughout the three thousand podcasts. There's not this big tsunami. If I, I mean, there's there's some obviously a bit more of, of the new stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I, I like to give the example of like Joe Rogan, and I know Steph, you've been on his program a couple times, or I think three times now at least. By the flashlight, everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it, he he has a number of. The, very cliche advertisers. And I say cliche in that, you know, some advertisers out there have really taken a liking to, you know, this new burgeoning media class of podcasts and video media and bloggers and all that. And I want to point out maybe for you and for some of the listeners that might be debating the same issue with their platform, I'm in no way affiliated with these people. So, you know, I'm not plugging anything. I'm just, uh, this is just the point of information. Midroll.com is a, like a pod, um, a advertisement broker in a sense. Um, they, work directly specifically with podcasters and advertisers wishing to advertise on podcasts and they do a lot of that legwork of finding them and managing them and basically you get you know emailed uh my understanding is you get emailed kind of a list of your live reads to do for that week or for that show and you could reject and say no i don't want to do this one and in that sense right and here's just something you guys didn't really bring up i'm sure you've thought of it or i'd like to think you probably did but you know for me i consume a ton of audio content in the form of podcasts and YouTube videos and um, audio books, but specifically podcasts, you know, at least two or three hours a day. And, you know, I pick up your podcast almost every episode and keep up with that. And, but I mean, I'm listening to five or six or seven podcasts a day. So it is simple to say, you know, 50 cents an episode for Molyneux. Hey, that's only a dollar or two a week and not a big deal. I I appreciate what he's doing. I want to keep it going. I want to see that, you know, last. But if I were to, you know, have to do the same thing for Joe Rogan and Bill Burr and this one and that one, you know, at some point I would it would add up to a substantial amount of money. So I think no, that's good. It's that's because you're listening to too many podcasts. <laughs> right. You're listening that that is that is like go go out and enjoy the sunshine. And go talk to a human being. <laughs> no, that that's good. You know, because if you're listening to like eight podcasts a day and it's really complicated to pay them all, that might be telling you something. Sorry, go. No, I appreciate that too. That's a good point. I, I just, my point is that I think there's a twinge of guilt that I sort of feel when I hear you, you know, go into a donation pitch because I wish I could contribute more to, to your program. Um, and I feel like, and probably just the way, the opposite way that someone would feel if they were a donator and all of a sudden they had to hear you talk about MeUndies or stamps.com or something, you know, they're like, well, this is a yeah, ripoff. I've been paying this guy. Well, to why, not but do ads hang on and, a sec. Hang on a sec. So you know. let, let's say, let's say, uh, just, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but in terms of contribution, right? this is the case that I would make. Let's say that you don't have the money or the money is tied up or whatever, and so you don't want to donate the, the money. And that's fine, right? But let's say that you listen to, I don't know, uh, 10 free domain radio shows a week. Right? It's probably not way out of bounds. right? Let's say maybe the shorter ones or whatever. You listen to 10 free domain radio shows a week, and maybe in those shows, I'm trying to remember, Mike, what was it? I think it was about a quarter of the Peter Schiff show was ads. Is that right, or do I have that? Uh, it was a two-hour show, and it wound up being, I think, um, it was half an hour of ads, wasn't it? At least half news, an hour right? of ads. Yeah, he, his is a okay. radio show, though. In all respect, yeah, yeah, okay, but let's just say it's a similar different. proportion, right? So, 20, it, it let's just say twenty percent. It wouldn't be Sorry? a similar proportion because a better comparison would be to take, you know, Joe Rogan's 
where he does about eight minutes of live reads in the beginning and talks for two or three hours like you do. Okay, so. fair enough. Okay, so uh, let's say we do eight minutes of live reads at the beginning. You're listening to 10 shows a week. That's 80 minutes, right? Sure. Which let's I say it's half of that, now. right? Let's just say it's half of that or whatever, right? right. Or maybe some of the shorter shows we do less reads or whatever, right? Right. So that's 40 minutes a week that we're saving you. And so if you don't have any money, why not spend, you know, we'll give you 10 minutes. Just spend half an hour sharing the show around. Right. I think that's all fair and good. Like, I think the concern, though, I mean, would be for me if I was in your position would be to ensure this, the sustainability of the brand and the platform. Because if it's, you know, delivering value and the audience is, you know, appreciating the value to kind of buffer it so that, it, it, you know, it's, you know, it's got uh, a more guarantee of, of lasting forever, you know, and, and, you know, or at least lasting as long as it's, you know, served its purpose or as long as you plan on, you know, hosting it. So, I mean, if, if, if Freedom Main Radio is undergoing funding concerns uh, on a regular basis and, you know, having a regularity to the income was a, was a, um, a factor that, you know, something that you, you, you all would appreciate to have, I guess that was my, my intention of calling in was to point out that, you know, yeah, there is certainly, it's not a clear cut issue at all. And there's certainly benefits for either side, but, you know, my, my knowing that I know how much roughly, you know, these other podcasters are getting to read things about Hulu Plus or whatever the case, Legal Zoom and all that. And I, I don't take that stuff to heart. I don't go, oh man, like Joe Rogan really appreciates Legal Zoom or something. Like I know it's, he's just reading through it. I can even skip through it sometimes and I don't feel like, oh, this is dishonest or whatever because it's a free market situation. Legal Zoom and whoever these advertisers are, they know only a percentage of these ads are going to be heard and only a percentage of those people that hear it are going to go take action on my product and whatever the case. But right now, the the CPA and CPM, the, the cost per action or cost per thousand impressions on a podcast versus newspaper or radio or television, it's so far out of whack that it's so undervalued that podcasters relative to their audience size can really receive a ton of money that, you know, I'm just concerned that on a donation basis, will the show sustain? What if, what if there's an economic set Fall, uh, you know, you know, downturn or you know, crash of the dollar or something. And what if there's an economic downturn? <laughs> what if there's an economic downturn? Yeah, there'd be <laughs> less been anywhere in the United States over the past six years, seven years. Well, no, but I, of course, but a, a great, uh, you know, a worsening one. I think that you know, if you have a, if your audience is the same size, a, a company that's like HBO or Squarespace or something. I'm looking at the mid-roll list of advertisers. These are, you know, the probably the last brands that are going to really, you know, dry up on their advertising budget out of anything. And if they're going to dry up somewhere, they're probably not going to dry up where the advertising is cheapest, which is in the podcast sector. They're going to dry up where it's expensive, which is like on TV and on buses in New York and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I absolutely know that you're doing it wrong or anything like that. I'm just saying if you guys were so shut off the idea of having advertisers that you, you might have missed something like a mid-roll or these kind of broker situations where maybe you could just say, hey, look, I got a million people. I'm getting a call from Freedom Main Radio. Can you, you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, it's like a call waiting or something. Wait a minute. Mike's here. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) You should answer that call. (laughs) I'd like to know who's on the other side of that line. Sometimes I'm just talking to myself and I wonder. No, you know what? It's just your conscience. It's saying go to freedomainradio.com slash donate. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, listen, look, I mean, maybe what you could do, and I I don't mean to lean on your kindness too much, um, but if if you could throw us a little bit of of info together, our info may be outdated. Uh, and so on. I mean, I don't know the degree to which other people's shows really try to change people's lives. I, I don't know, right? I mean, so that's sort of factor that's um, relevant, though not necessarily decisive. And you know, if there's if there's new information out there, if there's um, um, you know more specialized services that have set up, and um, you know, let's hear from 
uh, from you, from the listeners. I mean, outside of RJ. And look, first of all, I really, really, really appreciate you bringing this topic up. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate the information and the time and energy that you've, you've put into it. Um, and I, I really, uh, I really, really want to thank you for that. I mean, that's a very generous and, and kind thing to do. And please consider your bill paid <laughs> to the show. So. Uh, no, no, listen, I, I mean that in all seriousness, because that is a very caring and thoughtful thing uh, to do. And um, I really, really appreciate it. If you can throw us together, you know, just a couple of websites and maybe some numbers, if you've got them in your head, I don't obviously want to embark you upon a week long quest I, for data. I'd be honored to help out in any way I could. Yeah, send it in. And, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you have um, strong thoughts or opinions, uh, e- either way, uh, please, uh, please let us know. I mean, that would be... Uh, be very interesting to to hear from you, the listenership. One last thing I wanted to throw in too that I, I just didn't want to leave out was that you know, as someone who like I do marketing and you know I'm a I'm a volunteerist. You know, I, I don't I try not to use the word anarchist these days because it it really throws people in the wrong direction. Burn I, him! Burn right. him! <laughs> no, no, just just I say Satanist because uh, <laughs> it's just easier. I mean, anarchist gets people the way they're just quicker. Same destination, just quicker. Yeah. So I, I already know what it's like to kind of, I, 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 I've turned down work from, or, you know, projects that seem too, too statist or very o- overtly statist or whatever. So I understand what it's like to not want your, your operations to be funded by something that's really not in the best interest of, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. So, I mean, I, I like the fact that, you know, I, I try to speak within the Liberty community and to reach out to, to different, or, you know, communities that I support and, you know, um, I just understand what you guys are going through. And, you know, I deal with this every day with, for my clients. You know, I think there might be a few people who are like myself. Like, I may not have the budget for, say, where I'm at, but there might be people in the Liberty or Peaceful Parenting or Atheist Movement or so that really would, I don't know this, but maybe would be itching to, to be able to advertise on your platform and say, you know what, Steph really shapes my viewpoint in a lot of ways. And, I, I you know, I'd love to be able to put my product near his platform in any way possible and you know i don't know maybe how much does it cost for me to have him put the thong on for the next show i get it (laughs) i get it there's no amount of money that can spend that that i think you're just anxious to get naked for money stuff he already took his shirt off watching the podcast (laughs) is that well and you're assuming that i do shows with pants or anything down there below the soapbox but uh, no thanks rj i appreciate that uh we're certainly uh always happy to look at uh, new options and new ways of doing things and i have of course no innate hostility to advertising it's a fine business model but uh keep us uh keep us posted will do thank you thanks man um all right well listen i mean until we get things worked out with rj <laughs> freedomainradio.com slash donate and uh, listen for those of you who got uh, you know very upset at uh, the um the show on Walter Scott, you know, call in and uh, let me have it. Uh, I am happy to be corrected. And, um, you know, for those of you who were upset that I didn't mention um, this uh, the object that uh, Walter Scott seems to have dropped, or I think the video shows that he did drop it by the body and say, ah, he planted evidence. Yeah, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case. You know, from what I've uh, seen, uh, nobody can, is, is, well, first of all, nobody's 100% sure it's a taser. So, number one. Number two, um, if it was a taser, then depending on the model, but I think most of them, they're still live even after, after they've discharged because there's a way that they can discharge through the cables, but then you can also press them up against someone, hit the button, and still give a pretty bad shock. And um, police officers, and understand, I can describe rules without agreeing with them. You know, like I can read the ingredients um, 
for a dish I don't like. There was you a know, code uh, in there for libertarians. Not that I agree with all of this, but given the laws, it stands. Yeah, I, I said very clearly, I'm not saying I agree with all of this. I'm just saying this is these are the rules. You know, I, there are there are ancient Aztec. Um, uh, I think it's down at Chichen Itza. You can go in 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 Mexico. You can go and see these ruins where they played this game with with severed heads. And I remember when I was there many many years ago. The guide was describing how the game worked. I did not accuse him of wanting to play a sport with severed heads. <laughs> he was simply <laughs> describing how the game works. Uh, I, you know, it was implicit that he did not. <laughs> and let's get uh, here. We have a severed head, uh, and it will be you, sir. You, yes, because your head is nice and round and not overly burdened with hair, so it should make very good for this evil lacrosse that these ancient people played. So the fact that I'm describing a situation doesn't mean that I agree with it. And, um, you know, I, I've played uh, devil's advocate many times in, in this show and doesn't mean that I agree with these positions. It's just important to know um, how uh, how the system works. So in, in the rules of securing evidence, I mean, in what I've read, the rules of securing a scene is that you, you have to secure the weapon. If there's anything that's out there that's harmful to people, you have to secure that. And it doesn't like you have to secure it before you have to preserve evidence. So if if it was his taser, Officer Slager's taser, taser, then his job is to go and pick that taser up. Now I don't know. It maybe he was trying to plant evidence. Maybe he wasn't. We'll find that out. And maybe it will never be conclusive. My guess though would be that his defense will probably be, you know, if it was the taser. Well, I had to go secure the taser. I walked back over to the body. I realized the guy was dead, and I was so shocked I didn't even notice. But the ta the, the taser dropped out of my hands. 30 seconds later, he picks it up and puts it on his uniform. So as soon as I noticed that I dropped the taser in my shock and horror and adrenaline dump and all that, I picked it up and, and so on. And of course, there was another cop right there. And maybe he'll say even I knew I was being videoed. So why would I try to do that? And again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was he, planting evidence. Who knows? Maybe he I was planting know. evidence. Maybe, maybe that was the case. Um, but the reality is, but just saying he was planting evidence and, and also saying that he lied. I mean, we don't know what he said other than, I believe, in the radio uh, call that he made, he said that uh, that uh, Scott took his taser, or he grabbed my taser, or he took my taser, or something like that. Uh, that's what we know that he said. People are saying, like, well, he put his police statement out there, and it's contradicted what was seen on the video. His statement and anything that he said has not even been released to the public, so we have no idea what he actually said in any statement other than, you know, what you can hear over the radio or what's captured on the video and that kind of thing. And the idea that we should be skeptical of what the media reports, especially when it involves these racially charged cases, you know, as we found out with the George Zimmerman situation, as we found out with the Michael Brown shooting involving Officer Darren Wilson, what was reported by the media straight away and then wound up being accurate at the end were two incredibly different things. We actually highlighted quite a bit of this in our Truth About the Race War video. So suggesting that people, I, I mean, the video, don't get me wrong, when I saw that video, I was horrified just like everyone else was, and stuff the same. There's a lot that we don't know about it, and it's, you know, no rush to judgment. There's, there's well, a and, lot and, at play here. Yeah, now, the, the, all, all this having been said, the police may well be in possession of evidence that proves everything that they want to claim. Or I guess it would be the the, uh, the DA. But we do know that the DA uh, laid these charges without interviewing the officer and without examining ev any evidence. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, again, 
I'm no lawyer, but I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to make murder stick. Because murder, uh, outside of manslaughter or negligence or whatever, um, murder requires what's called malice of forethought, which means that there is a conscious plan to kill someone ahead of, like, not just seconds ahead, but ahead of the, the death. And, of course, you know, the video of the police officer talking to Walter Scott when he stops him for the traffic cam like two or three minutes before he dies, and the truck stops him for the, the light being out, um, is not aggressive and not inappropriate. And, of course, since we, there seems to be audio of the policeman saying, I'm going to taser you or taser or whatever, and the witness with the video camera says that he heard the taser going off, if he had malice of forethought, then he would not have used a taser because a taser is supposed to be a non-lethal weapon. And so I think that they have uh, overcharged him. And I say this, of course, like, I mean, the whole system is, right? But but no one <laughs> wants to be the next Ferguson now, you know? You yeah, let the cop and, and... get away with it. Now we're going to burn your city to the ground and we're going to have, you know, uh, the Department of Justice investigate you endlessly to try and find anything that they can throw at you to get you out. And and, and I would imagine that the the charge was murder because if they charged manslaughter, that would have been considered by some elements an automatic devaluation of a black life. And, of course, because people don't understand, and why should they, right? But people don't understand the complexities of the legal system, which is that uh, people say, well, he murdered him, therefore he ought to be charged with murder. But they don't understand that murder requires malice of forethought, which is going to be almost impossible to prove, and therefore they would have to reduce. So my guess is that they're going to try and get the charge knocked down to manslaughter, uh, and um, see if they can uh, make that uh, charge stick. And um, we'll see where things go from here. But uh, being skeptical, <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, there's the media, and the media is just, <laughs> well, I don't even know what to say, right? But there's the media, and then, of course, there's this charge of murder, which uh, appears to be, and again, all of this is contingent. Maybe the police have all this evidence that, that shows the guy is a cold-blooded racist murderer. I mean, this... Certainly wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unprecedented. It may well be the case. But, uh, it is, uh, a politically, it appears to be a politically motivated charge. And, uh, stuff's being reported in the media like, well, he just planted evidence or he lied or, you know, whatever. And we do have to point out falseness uh, or apparent falseness when we see it and when it's important. And this is important. Look, for those of you who weren't old enough, and I, I hate to pull the I've got more tree rings than you card, but, um, the, the 92 riots uh, in Los Angeles after the Rodney King beating, which was caught on video. The Rodney King beating was caught on video. And they omitted very important elements of that interaction, as we talked about in the Truth About Race presentation, which you can find at youtube.com slash radio And fdrpodcast.com, by the way. fdrpodcast.com. That resulted in dozens of deaths, brutal deaths, and billions of dollars of, I think, what, 100 billion, 200, I can't even remember, billions and billions of dollars of property damage. I think about a thousand significant injuries, uh, neighborhoods being burnt to the ground. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And that brutality has a lot to do with why Governments get bigger and why people perceive for the need for governments. So in attempting to, you know, cool down the lynch mob that seems to be gunning for this guy, it is, an, it is actually 
an anti-statist position to take. What's going to happen if this does go to trial? Well, it is going to trial, but if he's found not guilty, given that people have been force-fed this narrative of cold-blooded murderer, racist, right from the get-go, they're going to look at it as cold-blooded murderer, racist, got off, and cities will catch on fire. And yeah, and if we can riot. educate people, if we can it's educate people why this is happening, then, you know, hopefully, um, this is not without agreeing with the system. But if people go crazy because they don't understand how all of this stuff works, then the riots will be used for a further expansion of state power and maybe a federalization of the police force, as some people are calling for, which means less yeah. local and community accountability for the police, which means more police brutality. I mean... It's just, it's, a, it's always more complicated than you think, and it's more complicated than I think. But trying to, you know, cool, cool the jets of people jumping to conclusions, uh, and full of anger, and of course, I mean, watching this guy get gunned down in cold blood. I mean, Mike mentioned that it was shocking, and it's appalling to watch. I mean, I've been talking for years about the gun in the room, and the government is violence, and the, all the government has is gun, and the law is an opinion with a gun. So the fact that this gun is used to enforce a law well, I've always said, you know, the police, uh, it's, they will escalate force until you submit or die. So for me, it wasn't like, I mean, it was appalling to watch, of course, right? Yeah. But uh, it, was not, um, it was not something that shocked my sensibilities philosophically. I mean, that's what the state is. And, um, uh, but uh, it is not, you know, fanning the flames of this, uh, uh, these, these resentments and, and spreading false information that inflames people to use further violence that is not how you oppose the state, in my opinion. But again, I could be wrong in all this, so if you, you think that I'm wrong, uh, please uh, call in and, and let me have it. I am, as always, uh, happy to be uh, corrected. Uh, but uh, it is not... Uh, and I don't usually like to lift the lid and say, sort of say to people why I'm doing uh, what I'm doing, but um, uh, I am always going to try and promote the facts where I see a false narrative being, a uh, potentially false narrative being put forward that's of significance, and uh, it is not going to uh, do poor people in any neighborhood a lot of good if there's further riots and further breakdowns and further catastrophes and further businesses uh, pulling out and uh, further economic disasters. And uh, you're going to get the cops that are, you know, have some remote level of conscience leaving immediately because they have other career opportunities by seeing the giant anti-police sediment. And yes, as you know, libertarians, as anarchists, as people that believe in the non-aggression principle, we have our issues with the police, without question. We have our issues with the police. But I, I would much rather, you know, the nice cop stick around as opposed to just importing more sociopaths because they're the only people that will accept the job given the anti-police sediment, which is prevailing throughout the country. Yeah, I mean, the state's not going away anytime soon. No. And um, if if people just go crazy insane against the cops. They're just going to get crazy and insane cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, if, if, if think of it this way. And, of course, I'm not comparing police to women in any moral standpoint. But if you fear and hate all women, what kind of women are you going to end up dating? They're not going to, and, and there's just not, you're going to end up with a particular kind of woman. The state is not going anywhere anytime soon. I guarantee you that. It's going to get closer. Can't push the button. It's not going to Yeah, can't push a work. button. Can't push a button. And, um... Uh, so the state is not, not going anywhere anytime soon. And if there's this just crazy intensification of, of cop hatred. And look, cops are in the matrix like other people. You know, co cops are not just 
They're not full moral agents with a deep knowledge of voluntaristic philosophy who've just decided that this is the path they want. Cops are, and I made this case like eight or nine years ago with a soldier, and you can find it at freedomain.blogspot.com. But cops are in the matrix. They are raised to believe that they are the thin blue line between order and chaos, that without them, society collapses uh, into a war of all against all, that, uh, and, and they are praised and rewarded and paid, and they get pensions and they get parades, and people respect what they do, and you know they, they are uh, honored and respected and highly valued members of society, for a lot of people, obviously not for everyone. And asking, uh, holding them to the moral standard of those of us who have been enlightened through universal philosophy, who still remain a very tiny minority in the world, holding the police to this moral standard is to me unfair. And this is not a new position for me. This is a position I've held even before I started the show. As I've always said, morality is a kind of technology. And you can't say that World War I soldiers were insane not to use GPSs because there was no such thing. And these people don't have this knowledge. We're aiming to bring them this knowledge. We're aiming, but saying that the, I mean, the cops are just, I mean, yes, of course they're, you know, we, we, we working on a show about a, a cop who, well, it was, a, it was a, like some, you've got the 70, story, right? The guy. 70 plus year old, um, deputized, I forget the exact word for it, but some guy who, was on the police force, had a gun, was involved in an investigation, probably shouldn't have been, and shot a guy while he was face down on the concrete and said, oops, I thought I had my taser after he shot him. Yeah, that's, uh, God. And and the comments that the cops made afterwards, and we won't get into it now, but we'll get in. I mean, brutal. There is there is significant dysfunction in massive mm-hmm. areas of police, uh, of the police force. And we will get into that. We will get into that. But... The cops, you know, I mean, public school teachers, they're in the matrix, they're respected, they're given awards, they go to the Rose Garden and get medals pinned on their chest, and and soldiers are, you know, heroes who are protecting America, fighting the war over there, so it doesn't be, right? I mean, this is the generalized Borg collective brain that people are currently in, and to them it's as real as the nose in front of your face. And it is a it is the work of generations to correct these errors. And I'll just say two stuff. I got I got a couple emails actually this week, oddly enough, from uh, people in the military that are kind of racked with guilt right now because they enlisted. They're in the middle of their terms. They're committed, and they've mm-hmm. kind of looked at the morality of the state, and they're like, "Oh my God, I'm I'm involved with this." Yeah, and. I wonder, like, with those people that have come to those realizations, would they have come to those realizations if the first people talking about these ideas that they came in contact with called them statist pig pieces of shit or, you know, were yeah. really hostile towards them? I mean, I have tremendous empathy for people that uh, were raised to be the enforcer class, given what they no doubt went through to be mm. put into that enforcer class. And yeah, I have some strong disagreements with a lot of what is done, to put it mildly. But I don't think we win those hearts and minds by screaming, <laughs> screaming that they're pigs or screaming negative things in their general direction. So uh, yeah, that's just on my mind because we got got a couple really long, emotionally powerful emails this week about this subject. So, and look, I mean, 
I mean, a lot of people who criticize the enforcers or state representatives have not, they wouldn't have to give up as much as these guys would have to give up. Like, you see a cop, you wake up, start listening to the show, and okay, well, maybe you're 45. Maybe you've got like five years to go or 10 years to go until you get a pension for life and health care costs paid for for life and you name it and a camaraderie and a brotherhood and 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 you know what are you going to do go and work in some other field well this is all you know i mean it's like those it's like those priests who wake up one morning and say Phew, i don't you know i just got an email from just i don't believe anymore i mean what are they, what are they going to do you know if you've not faced these kinds of choices it's just easy it's easy to just say, oh, they're bad guys and, and, and just evil guys and so on, right? But um, that's why I've sort of focused not on the individual agents of state action, but rather on the belief system that holds it up. Yeah. And it is not the uniform that give the cop his power. It is people's belief in the authority of the uniform. And that's why I have focused on the against me argument and the, the personal challenges that people who believe in freedom and philosophy can take. And, to, you know, to, to be fair and to push back a little bit on the libertarian tough guys, very few people, to my knowledge, if any, have taken the against me argument to its conclusion. In other words, people have said, well, I don't want to really rock the boat that much with my relationships to stand up for what I believe in. And that's with significant knowledge of the values and virtues that we've talked about here for many years. But then saying, well, the cops should be completely different when you're not willing to act on your beliefs. And look, I'm not saying you should act on your beliefs. I'm just saying... Have some empathy for have, these people. <laughs> yeah, have some empathy for these people. If, if, they, if they wake up and say, well, I'm, you know, like Whitaker Chambers style when he woke up from communism, say, I'm, I'm the service of evil. Um, well, they're going to lose their careers. They're going to lose their incomes. They are going to lose the people who they call friends. They are probably going to lose their families. Uh, I mean, you, you know, if, if libertarians aren't willing to take these stands without even the financial incentives, it's pretty hard for them to get all thumpy, thumpy on their chest, tough guy with all these uh, other, uh, with these enforcers of, of state actions. You know, if, if we want to say to people that, that virtue is worth sacrificing almost everything for, then we should make those sacrifices. And if we're not, that's fine too, as I've always said don't have to use the against me argument, but then you just, you lose the right to rail against people who aren't living by your values. If you're not willing to take the hits for virtue, then when other people have far more at stake, don't blame them. Uh, so um, that that's my uh, perspective. And now I'm not saying this is ironclad or bulletproof or 100% right or anything. I, this is my perspective. I'm putting it forward as a potential argument, not a foregone conclusion. But um, and this is incredibly important stuff too. So if someone thinks that we've gotten something wrong on this, and Steph said, send me a message. Operations at freemainradio.com. I'd love to schedule for the show. Yes, uh, and of course, if you have a better way of getting the message out, you know, I am going to be annoying, and I'm going to say, you know, we get a couple million downloads and views a month, and and if you have a better way of getting information out to people in a way that's engaging and and positive and gets these kinds of numbers, you know, I am your slave, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll turn the helm over to you and I'll, I'll come work for you. I'm really serious about that. I mean, I, it's not an ego trip for me. I mean, if, if there's some, some way to better serve philosophy, if people 
say, ah, well, you know, you're doing this wrong and this wrong, and you should do it. You know, I've got a way to do it better, and here's my proof. Fantastic. You know, you come come take the mic, and <laughs> I'll rub your feet while you talk. So um, anyway, I really do appreciate people's feedback, uh, and um, uh, I am looking forward to engaging, uh, you know, in this conversation about how we move things forward. How do we change? You know, we are, you know, blundering around uh, in the dark sometimes. Uh, I think we get it right sometimes. I think we get it wrong sometimes, but we're always happy to get feedback on how to improve. So if you do have thoughts, the best thing to do is to call in um, and have a conversation, I think. Uh, I know that sometimes can be tough, but, you know, we uh, we got to take the bullets for <laughs> what's right and what's effective and positive, I think, sometimes. So uh, anyway, please um, send us your emails uh, with your thoughts and um, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out with the show. Uh, of course, until we <laughs> figure out what we're going to do in the future, uh, we are uh, wedded to your generosity, we live and die by your typing fingers. So freedomainradio.com slash donate. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful night. Thank you so much for listening and calling in. It is, as always, my honor and privilege to speak to you about philosophy and what matters and what is of value to you in the world. So have a great week. We will talk to you soon.